tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show, a poll on Helen McEntee uh, revealing that she has public support, but is the poll all that it seems? The influence of Conor McGregor on uh, the political scene. Eamon Ryan flying home for a Doyle vote. Uh, does its uh, reek of hypocrisy. We have global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. And would you charge your family members for Christmas dinner this year? We'll be hearing from one of our listeners on that. So all of that and lots, lots more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now we have vouchers to give away for shopping in Thurles this Christmas and uh, we'll play a cue to call for you. This, by the way, is your cute call? <laughs> it's Christmas in Thales. All right. When you hear that next, uh, that will be your uh, cue to get in touch with us. And uh, if you give us your name and your details at that point, uh, we will give away a couple of 50 euro vouchers. And I know one is for uh, Hayes' Hotel on the Liberty Square in Thurles and also the Mal Curios on Schlievenmann Road. Uh, let's have a look at what's making headlines today. Uh, the Independent leading with that story that some uh, private patients are paying almost 50 euro more to see their family doctor than those in other parts of the country with prices highest in Dublin. And a new survey revealing how one in six are paying between 26 euro and 50 euro to see their GP while over a third are paying between 51 and 75 with prices highest in the capital. And we'd love to know what you think about that and what's your experience of paying your GP. 0833113311. The Irish Daily Mail and their main story more than half of people living in Dublin are reluctant to visit the city centre after recent riots there. It's according to a poll uh, from the uh, Daily Mail. The Irish Times and their lead story today the uh, economic effects of uh, a united Ireland on voters' personal finances would have a critical impact on their choice in any future referendums. And that's according to the latest research there. Also reading on the Times today that patients are to be treated in their own homes under digital technology using a new virtual ward programme to be um, uh, put out there in uh, two hospitals early in the new year. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, the Irish Examiner and their main story is that uh, the uh, senior social worker in the Cork and Kerry region has warned of uh, disgusting financial abuse of elderly patients by family members who are... um, 
their next of kin and swindling their money. So an unfortunate story there. So again, if you want to make comment on any of that, we would love to hear from you. 083 311 Now, Ireland, we are at war. There is grave danger upon us. Make change or make way. These were some of the social media posts from Conor McGregor during the recent Dublin riots that have uh, brought him to the attention of the Irish authorities and indeed the public, I suppose. Uh, there are reports that these tweets are now being investigated by Gardaí, but there's much division over whether McGregor is a scapegoat or not. Uh, David Maloney joins me on the line now. David, good morning to you. Hello, Frank. How are you? Uh, good, to, good to talk to you today. Some yeah. speculation even, David, at the moment, that McGregor may um, make a political run. Um, what, what do you think of uh, what's out there about him? Well, um, up to now, I mean, I never really liked McGregor, right? But I can see, I mean, he's a big following. He's almost like Trump, right? On Twitter, um, his social media platform, he has 10.5 million people. Yeah. And, a lot of, and he is actually reading these posts and so on. He's articulate. He has um, finger-pointed problems with immigration, right? And he has major support in Dublin. I mean, a lot of the youth in Dublin regard him as their hero, right? So I reckon he will be a force, right? Right, and um, at least he's now, he's now regarded really as a saviour for uncontrolled immigration. And do you see any danger um, in uh, some of his utterances and some of his uh, uh, social media um, uh, pieces? Do you, are you, do you find it dangerous in any way? Well, I may say it's hypocritical, really, the talk about, um, about um, incitement and hatred. And here we have, um, even last week, a councillor in Limerick City, right, talking about um, and talking about um, shooting people in the head, right, and stoning them until they're dead. I mean, that is... Um, and he, I mean, he hasn't been arrested for incitement or breach of the peace, right? Mm-hmm. And then I see you have um, people before profit on um, propaganda videos belong to um, Hamas. And they're there in Dublin, right, and they're actually... Uh, they do Hitler proud, right? And the type of radical talk, right, that's coming out of them, right? And it's completely pro Hamas and it's anti Jews. I mean, they should be done as well for uh, breaching the peace, right? So there's a lot of people that are actually causing things, right, and saying a lot of things which they shouldn't be saying. And I'm just looking at uh, the recent uh, poll as well in the Sunday Indo yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw that, but did, yeah. uh, they, they posed a couple of questions about McGregor, for example. Should McGregor be investigated uh, for alleged incitement uh, to uh, violence in the recent uh, Dublin riots? 62% of those polls said yes. Yeah, but I see those polls. I mean, one, one problem with those polls is to ask a thousand people, right? from all across the country. I think it's 1,300, uh, yeah. Yeah, 1,300 from yeah. all across the country, right? Right, Which isn't, I mean, McGregor is in Dublin, right? Mm. I bet you you'd have a different poll result if you actually spoke, if you asked just people in Dublin alone. And that's where his support base is. And what about that notion of him, uh, you know, put him, putting himself forward for office, for example? I mean, and and again, to refer to the poll, they were asked, would you vote for Conor McGregor if he ran for office? 89% of people said no, 8% said yes, and 3% weren't sure. So it's a, it's a huge majority. Yeah, well, again, no. as I said, that poll is really a nationwide poll, and most people outside Dublin would, wouldn't have any time for Conor McGregor, whereas people in Dublin would. Mm. I see that's the fundamental flaw in the poll. 
Yeah, and, you know, in terms of the general conversation, I'll be speaking to Matty McGrath a little bit uh, later on because... Uh, um, but I am I, just wondering, in general, where the country is post-riots, where do you think we are now? I mean, have we ever been as divided as we are? Yeah, um, well, I tell you, I've seen riots before. I lived through the um, Arab Spring out in the Middle East, right? Mm. And really what happened in Dublin really uh, isn't what you see, like in Europe, where people would be killed, right? And you'd have serious problems. But I mean, one of the most dangerous aspects of, that I saw in Dublin was where you were, they were attempting to burn down a hotel in the city centre that was actually with migrants inside it, mm. right? I mean, if, if the hotel had gone on fire and people were, were killed, I mean, that would be a very serious incident. And, and, and what is very worrying too is that now we have towns and we have city centres that are becoming no-go areas, right? And shoppers and girls and day-trippers and tourists are abiding them, right? And yet we have the government looking to revitalise town centres and then we have them becoming no-go areas, right? Which is very disturbing. And I see in Ireland, really, I mean, law and order is breaking down in a big way. And that is a worrying aspect, right, for Irish society. Yeah, it's actually all over the uh, Daily Mail today that more than half of the people living in Dublin are reluctant to visit the city centre, for for example, you know. So I guess that's no surprise to you. No, and um, I mean, another serious thing, I mean, the government are trying to um, control the narrative, right? I mean, I know, when, when I heard about Dublin City Centre, you weren't getting any information. You'd actually go and look at the British um, media to find out what was actually happening in Dublin, right? Mm. I mean, they're trying to hide things. And you'd wonder, well, what is their ulterior motives? Because it has transpired any day where that one of the senior politicians actually made representations on on behalf yeah, well, of we, an, we we don't actually know the full facts uh, around yeah, but that. I've but seen, I've, is, I've, is, seen, I've seen a parliamentary question, right, right. That, that a senior politician actually raised, why wasn't such a person being considered mm. for presidency? But, so I just wonder how many more are like that? Yeah, in in terms of the the rioting and the the main perpetrators of the rioting, yes. I mean, do you, do you see them as just hooligans? Do you see them as having a, an ideology, a, a right ideology? Or wh- how do you view the people who perpetrated those deeds? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, we see now that actually 50% of the people that have been charged with the, um, the looting and the rioting, right, are non-Irish, you know, and, um, you know, and that is actually consistent with what I've seen on the footage on television, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and of course, there is regret and satisfaction in Dublin, and there has been, right? With um, uh, you saying the rioters largely were not Irish? I'm saying that 50 percent of them that have been charged, right, especially with the looting, right, were non-Irish, mm. and I saw that really on the um, the footage. Mm. And what what is that telling you? Well, I mean, they're opportunistic, right, because you do have a lot of problems in Dublin, right, with robbing in shops and stealing, right. Mm. And people use it as an opportunity just to go out. But I mean, a very—I mean, what I found very worrying about the writing in Dublin, the guards didn't seem to have an emergency uh, response plan, right, for dealing with riots on the streets, right? It seemed to be very haphazard, right, to get a response on how they dealt with it. Mm. Yeah, they didn't seem to have the equipment, and uh... there was no communication, right? Yeah. And there's no. I mean, they should have had, as I said, usually in a case like that, you'd have an emergency plan, right, for dealing with riots, right, and it'd be all planned in advance, right, and it'd kick into play, right? But they didn't seem to know what was happening. When you hear about girls going to Dublin, right, volunteering themselves to go, right, mm-hmm. and not being called, I mean, there's something very wrong.
It was interesting to see, the, I, I mentioned this last week, to see the difference of the guard response on Thursday by comparison with the guard response on the Friday. Um, oh, yeah, they learned their lesson, right? Yeah. And again, see what happened too. I mean, they were terrified right before and they were advised by their own union not to be using batons, right? Because you had Mary Lou, right, you know, uh, uh, giving up the use of batons in Dublin, right? Mm-hmm. They were hampered by that. Yeah, and uh, does any of that concern you that we're gotten we we're at a stage now where the guardee have to go in there with batons and you know, I, I mean whether it's necessary or not, and you know there's there's two sides to that too, I suppose. But it, it looks awful, doesn't it? That we're gone to oh, that. Oh, it at does. This point. But I mean that is actually common across Europe in major cities. Yeah, right? sure. It you is. do have, right. I mean, why don't we have it right? And it's obvious, right? But there is the possibility and probability of of rioting and looting, right? Mm. You know, I mean, you have to have plans and you have to be, be prepared, right? And see, what was happening is, I mean, just talk about far right, you know, that's all we've been hearing up to now, yeah. right? It's changing now, actually, right? Blaming everything on the far right. Mm. I mean, the far right, I mean, you, you look at a thousand protesters down below in Wexford, well, who, who were they? There were mothers and their children and families, right? Mm. I mean, they're not far right. I so mean, so all this talk about the far right then, what, what are you making of that? Is that some sort of... Smoke I think that's only um, a red herring, right? To divert attention away from their own failings, right? Making out. But but there is no doubt that elements of the so-called far right did try and inflame uh, issues around the unfortunate um, uh, happenings there at that that school in Dublin. I mean, you know, there's no no doubt about that, surely. Yeah, but are they far right, or are they just concerned citizens that are sort of uh, have taken? The, I don't think that concerned citizens would, you know, advise people to go out there and cause mayhem, you know. I, I, yeah, well, uh, again, you don't expect a councillor to actually go out and say that people should be shot in the head, right? Mm. So, yeah. Is he far right? I mean, if he's far right, he's, he's the guy that should be expelled. Well, he's, he's a Fianna Fáil councillor. He, funnily enough, he didn't condemn... Um, the, 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 the perpetrator oh, sorry, the of, of the stabbings, yeah. yeah, yeah. But even last week, I mean, I saw in Limerick he was actually campaigning. He was saying how Muslims were actually being victimised and picked on. This was ever before the riots, right? And he's actually made the situation far worse for genuine Muslim immigrants in this country, right? Mm. In, and when yeah, you say- sorry, one other aspect, right? Sorry, I just want to bring this up about the war in the Middle East, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I learned this right from a Palestinian friend of mine when I worked out in the Middle East. There's one aspect which is actually leading to the cycle of violence out there, and that is the belief that Jews and Muslims have in that they follow the retaliation principle of a life for a life, mm. whereas Christians believe in turn the other cheek, right? And that, that belief is actually only going to lead to um, a whole cycle of violence where women and children suffer the greatest. Yeah, but but you know, like most right-thinking people, I, I, you, you would have to come out surely and condemn what Hamas did in, in Israel as well. Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Hamas are actually, and you would know it, right? Listening to some of our politicians, they are a designated um, terrorist organisation, mm. right? Mm. And I mean, they did uh, start right the problems. I mean, what's worse? I mean, I see a big problem with the likes of that. Of Israel and everything. It's like, it's like if you have two children fighting, you don't start giving them guns to kill one another. And that's what the Iranians and the Americans are doing. 
they're actually perpetuating wars. And they've done the same thing in Ukraine, right? Rather than looking for peaceful solutions, right? And we have our own politicians. I mean, they should be looking to, for peaceful solutions, not to be inflaming um, and radicalising, right, the supporters of Hamas, right? Uh, and that's a problem, I can see. A lot of these um, pro-Palestinian marches have been hijacked, right? Mm. I mean, uh, Irish people think what they're actually doing is they're protesting, is that they're out protesting, looking for peace. And then everyone wants to see peace. No one wants to see peace. But you're having it. You know, they've been actually twisted, right, into being pro-Hamas and anti-Jewish, uh, anti, um, right? And that is the what Ireland has been portrayed as. All right, David. Well, good to talk to you today, and thanks very much okay. indeed for that. Thank you, and thanks uh, for making contact with us uh, as well. 1800-938-007 if you'd like to uh, join in the uh, conversation. And uh, 83 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now when David was uh, chatting to me there, he mentioned that uh, about half of the people charged uh, following the rioting in Dublin were non-nationals or they were, were not uh, Irish. Uh, Andrew did a bit of digging for us on this and it looks to me and it looks to Andrew as if all of these names, they're certainly Irish names as far as I can see anyway. Um, there may be one that looks to be a foreign name but largely looks to be uh, Irish people. So just, just to uh, clear that up where that is concerned. Plus a lot of our listeners on and kind of giving out and uh, wondering why we're not dealing with uh, the status of those who were stabbed in that unfortunate event at that uh, Dublin school. Um, the reason being is that there's no information emerging about that. There's no information to any media source. Now, we know there's lots of speculation on social media and the like, and there has been indeed for the last uh, while since it happened, basically. But there's nothing emerging in terms of hard news that we can that we can put out there, you know. So that that's why we're, we're certainly not avoiding giving you information. If we had it, we certainly would pass it on to you, but it's it's not there. Now, you can speculate what you want around that, but it's it's just not there. The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, is defending Minister for the Environment's uh, decision to uh, fly back from Dubai for Tuesday's no-confidence vote in the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. Now, Eamon Ryan's returning from COP28 for that uh, vote. And um, the Taoiseach thinks that uh, Minister Eamon Ryan had no option but to return for the vote. Now, one of our regular contributors, Peter, is with me. Peter, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm good, Peter. You're kind of aghast about this, really, aren't you? Yeah, sure, it is, it's crazy how it's getting every day, fine, to be honest with you. Like, you know, it's, it's just when I heard mm. that, when I heard this carry on was going on, like. And is it because uh, COP28, it's all about climate change, it's all about saving the planet and all of that? Is, is it the, the carbon footprint that's bothering you and, the, and therefore maybe an element of hypocrisy from the minister? Is that. <laughs> I suppose the stupidest, stupidest of the whole thing is what's bothering me that, um, that we have. We're supposed to have technology now. We're supposed to be up to date with with the best technology in the world. Uh, man has to physically um, fly from Dubai, from Dubai to Dublin and back again mm. twice or whatever in the same week to cast a vote. Like there's something seriously wrong here. 
And it, you know? I mean, it's it's an important vote, I suppose, Peter. That's what they would tell you. It's uh, you know the career uh, of the Minister for Justice well, is at stake here, and also the possibility, of course, that. If this was to go wrong for them, it could bring down the government, I suppose. Right. So why not just ask someone at um, opposition um, TDs and independent or someone for the better of the country, the better of climate change, the better of everything, to pay with Eamon Ryan? Mm. Like, why can't that happen? First of all, the confidence votes are a waste of time anyway, mm. because it's going to go nowhere, get nothing. You see every country. The government has, has the majority. Uh, anyway. The government will have the majority, so it's just another waste of time. It's just another um, game for our politicians to be messing around with the country, isn't it? Mm. Pretty bad state. You have people this weekend trying to burn smokeless coal and they perished inside in their houses. And this man flying around the world over and back for a confidence vote that's going to mean, that's not going to mean anything at all. So, like, somebody needs to stand up, put up their hand and say, look, I am big enough. I will give him, leave him and Ryan stay there for the sake of the country and the climate, and I will um, vote, I will abstain yeah. so that his my, vote will be OK. My understanding of pairing is, though, it, it's it's accepted in some votes, but not in others. Now, I'm no expert on this, but I presume in this case, because he's going to be flying back, I presume that's not a runner. But if he was in hospital, if he couldn't make it, like if, if he just actually couldn't make it, wouldn't something happen to be done about it? Yeah. Do you know, it's, 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 uh, they can suit themselves. They'll pay her when they want to. They won't pay her when, when, when they get sick about something. And you have the Taoiseach, oh, it's the people that put down the no-confidence vote. It's their fault. They're wrong. But if they don't put down a no-confidence vote, then the country is saying, oh, should we have no opposition? Should they leave them off with everything? So, like, there's no, you know, the whole thing is fastical. Like, yeah. the confidence vote, the minister herself probably um, should just probably go anyway because the carry-on in Dublin and the carry-on from our um, commissioner, should they, nobody has faith on, on what's going on. Should the girls haven't faith in their own boss or their own minister anymore. So, like, the thing is a bit... Is a bit crazy. My, this is just my point of view. Like yeah. I'm only from an outsider. What did you make of, of that poll in the uh, Sindo yesterday, where 54 percent of the people polled figured that the justice minister should not resign as a consequence of of the riot, Peter? What, what do you make of that? Yeah, because it's 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 kind of like there's no consequence for it. Like even if they resign, they just put somebody else in there, which is the same policies. It's the same. It's the same gang are running the show. So they're not. In, you know, changing a changing um, a personality really won't make an awful lot of difference. Like I, like to me, I don't care whether she go or stay because I think we need a general election and we need to freshen the whole thing up, not just one of them of that. So that's how I feel about it. That um, if a minister wants to that wants to stick in their uh, friend, the government's going to back her up, like Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and. Uh, the Greens are going to stick together till the very last day of this, no matter what. And when the pressure will come on, they'll some of the independents um, up jump ship and go with the government to make sure the the whole thing won't fall. Like so, it's it's all games, like, and that's the problem. I, I can't understand that the results of this poll would be completely at odds with what we're hearing from the people of Tipperary, for example. Uh, totally, totally, and it's completely at odds with what. Um, 
people talk to me when I have a chat with people, just an ordinary chat that, that has nothing to do with it uh, because uh, it's not in politics. But they'd say the same thing, that this is crazy. And then you have these polls that are put out on the independent. I think the papers are probably driven by a section of the, um, a section of the country, a section of politics and that, and maybe it suits to put these polls out mm. there like that, you know? Like, would it surprise you to to know, for example, that 40% of the people polled, this would be the largest mm. number, would prefer the current coalition, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, um, with a, a Sinn Féin-led coalition at 39%. But the majority of people would like what we have. Well, if that's the case, then that's what we will have, like, you know. Yeah. Like, if, if if that's the case... But I'm just with all the critique, and, you know, that's... <laughs> but that's not what we're hearing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and the last time, like, that Fianna Fáil were after them, the fall in 2008, the same thing we were hearing, they're going to get destroyed, and they did. So I think when it'll come to the ballot box, the 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 current government will get will get destroyed. I'm not saying what's going in is going to be much better, but at least I think that they deserve a shot at like a chance, you know. But this climate thing, Fran, going back to uh, flying a man around the world um, from Dubai, like I know I know the, the the journey from Dubai because my daughter be coming home at the weekend from Dubai. Mm. And if I was to tell her fly back out the day after again, she'd tell me where to go, like, you know, because it's just a savage journey. And and people like the minister, like he he what good will he be when he go back after giving two or three days in a plane flying around the world, you know? Well he he tends to, to fall asleep on occasion, so <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I said I leave that one to you, Fran. <laughs> oh, thanks very much, Peter. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, already, but but it's hypocrisy as far as you're concerned, anyway. Ah, it's completely yeah. And now we'll see if there's anyone anyone big enough to stand up and say, look, I will uh, abstain and leave Eamon Ryan stay where he is, and we'll save so much fuel and time and energy and everything else from mm. travelling around. Uh, Travelling around um, the country, the world, like you know. So yeah. maybe it's been an interesting uh, question to put to a politician. Uh, would they be prepared to do that? In in, in in the interest of of the country of the and country, the planet and, and the climate and the climate. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, did you follow anything that was happening, by the way, with with COP twenty eight? Does does that does that concern well, you? Does it matter to you? Is it just a talking <clears throat> well, shop? You think? Well, I've seen a few um, a few articles on it, and um, like um, by all accounts, the head man, the top man there, has has said that um, cutting fossil fuel really will make no difference whatsoever. You know? Yeah, that was in the altercation with Mary Robinson, I think. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've had um, and like he's the head man in this. That they're all good. he's he's sharing sharing all this all this stuff and. Like, I can't, what I read on that article, um, they're t- completely at loggerheads with, like, a Mary Robinson, which would be big into um, cotton fossil fuel, all of that, and the headman of the, of the cop. So I, I think that he's, I think the whole thing is a talking shop. It's kind of a waste of time. Sorry. And why they can't do all this online yeah. and stop, flying people all over the world from I don't know how many countries 
to be there. Uh, and and that's wasting, that's burning more fuel and more more stuff than every fire in the world, you know. All right, Peter. Well, good to talk to you as always, and thanks very much indeed for that. Thanks, Peter. No, but Thank I'm you. fine. While you're there, I might yeah. maybe get one chance to um, wish Bally Mac the very best in the um, ladies' uh, club all Ireland. They had a great win yesterday, and um, hopefully they're going to bring it home and go back to the old good, good old times years ago when we were winning club all Ireland every every year or two. So. Well, uh, that's all. And fine, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Peter. Take care. Thanks Hello. very much Bye-bye. indeed. That's Peter with us uh, this morning. What do you think about that? 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie all right, Joe thinks the Irish Independent, exactly like RTE, peddling the government narrative and uh, they can't be trusted news. Well, in fairness, these polls now, you know, the companies do them are very reputable and they're, um, they're largely used by other um, media outlets as well. Good morning, friend. It's laughable telling us to reduce our carbon footprint. Mr. Ryan and his greens are a joke. How can they defend this? The man is totally right. Uh, Fran, you get a report with the result you want when you're paying the invoice. Well, again, it's a reputable company that uh, carried out the uh, report. Uh, Who pays for him to fly back and then go back again to Dubai? It seems so sad last night when he was asked, um, does he lose two days? And he said, yes. Um, The man is perfectly right in what he says. The government won't take any responsibility for the situation in Dublin. They're sending money to Ukraine for arms to kill innocent people. What a contradiction, says Kay. Well, I mean, you know what the government is saying about that, that while they are funding uh, aspects of the Ukraine um, conflict, it's it's non-lethal as far as the Irish government is concerned. It's non-lethal. Uh, equipment and the like that they're they're funding. Um, okay, lots more in on that. Let's go to Tony now. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. What are you making of that? That Eamon Ryan has returned from Dubai for for that vote and then return. I think the hypocrisy is just unbelievable. Um, you know, it's a it's a case of do as I say, not as I do. Uh, we're all being told to cut down on our carbon emissions, yet this seems to be flying in the face of the advice that the same gentleman wants the rest of us to abide by. And does it mean anything to you know that the Taoiseach, he was explaining this yesterday, he said there's no way to avoid uh, the flight home and back to Dubai because there's no pairing allowed in a no-confidence vote. They, they're the rules. The rules are there. Uh, I suppose no pair. I, I really don't know what their rules are in relation to it. I mean, there has been history of other TDs pressing buttons for other people in the dial, and no sanction was taken. I think we have. Of course, in that, this day that wasn't that wasn't legal to to do. Of course, Tony. But no, but yeah. uh, you know, at the same time, no sanction was yeah, taken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, we seem to have a situation here where the very people who are telling us not to travel and and not to um, increase our, our carbon emissions yeah. have no problem um, producing them themselves. Uh, we have a very good, by and large, a very good um, internet system here in Ireland. Uh, we've had video conferencing for quite a few years. It's, yeah. it's, I, I just I just don't understand why what the necessity to travel back 
is apart from a free trip home to see the family, of course. Uh, maybe that's well, the, uh, he the, can take that into account as well. The the heavy lifting of COP, at least my understanding, was the all the leaders giving their contributions over the first and second of December. So now it's kind of workshops and various different uh, bits and pieces for for the next few days. So I'm not sure about well, the importance of it, but you well, know. I'm sure it's absolutely vital that he has to be there. I mean, what is he going to miss while he's he's back here conducting business in the oil? That's, uh, I mean, surely it's absolutely vital if you go that's, to a conference that's very, you attend That's that very conference. interesting because nobody's talking about that. Yeah, what will he miss while he's away if it's so important that he's there in the first place? Very good exactly. point. Exactly. Very good point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, just, I just find it totally hypocritical. And, and I hope the voters um, remember this at the next election. Yeah. And do you think I, they will? I have no doubt they will, because this sort of hypocrisy has to be highlighted. Uh, if people are going uh, to conferences, uh, I don't know what date he actually left Ireland, but I'm sure this controversy had, had well boiled at that stage. And, uh, I'm, you know, I don't believe it's a contingency plans in place if there was a vote of no confidence coming up. Uh, was he still in the country when this was... was maybe he wasn't. Mm. I don't know, but uh, are they that worried that one vote will, will, will sway the, the whole thing? I, I, I really don't know, but I, I just... I am fuming at this. I suppose yes. that's a, a bit of a play on words, the fumes and things. But I think it's, I think it's, it, it's absolutely terrible that, that we have somebody... I mean, I, I wonder at the, at the beginning, why are not a lot of these conferences, if they're so concerned about climate and, and, and um, emissions, why are these not all online anyway? Yeah, because you can imagine the amount of private jets um, that flew into Dubai over the last uh, week for this. I mean, it must have been colossal amount of, you know, pollution caused by all of that, you would imagine. We have very good video conferencing. It happened during COVID. Lots of things were. Yeah. Um, we're all, if we all have different things, I, I know I got something there recently, the, the lovely Aircom shares or whatever they're called now, Vodafone shares, where you can, there's a proxy vote and you can do it online. I, I just, we need to come into the 21st century with this sort of thing. We have people here who are, who are lecturing us about how, uh, how our lifestyle is impinging on, on the climate. Yet these are the very people that don't seem to be too worried about it. Yeah, and and do you think by their actions that they're they're making us throw our hands up and say, "Actually, look, you know what's what's the point? What's the point?" <clears throat> well, this, I, I think I think certainly it, it it plays into the hands of the people who say, "Look, you're telling us this, and yet you're doing exactly the opposite." Mm. Have you been I, following any of uh, COP twenty eight? Have you been following? Not in the least. No. No, no interest. No. None whatsoever. I'm a firm, and before anybody would dare to say I'm a denier, a climate change denier, no, I, I, I firmly believe in climate change. Mm. Uh, I mean, we've seen it, the climate has always changed over the years. Mm. So I, I, I'm, I'm not. It, it basically boils down to taxation for most of us, and you know, this is, this is what we have to look at, because apparently taxation fixes everything. Well, taxation seemingly would, uh, you know, show us the error of our ways where fossil fuels are concerned. Right, yes, I know. Mm. But we, until there are viable alternatives, and at the moment, I, I think we have to look at even... I, I'm, I have solar panels. I've had them for 20 years. The evacuated tubes for hot water. 
I'm a great believer in this. Mm. I, I think we we need to try and cut down, but we also need to to insulate from day one rather than trying to to close the door after the horse has bolted. I think in this country we've had we've seen some cold weather recently, and uh, we need to build. I mean, I, I think our building regulations for many years have been years behind what they do in in colder countries. I know a lot of countries were colder, but we, we should have been thinking a lot further ahead. I think for this. Uh, to make things more um, environmentally friendly, but also more uh, comfortable for ourselves to live in as we get older and as our houses age. Mm. We, we, we need heat. We, we've got to have this energy. So we need to be able to, to build something. If we look at all our old houses, going back, houses that were built a couple of hundred years, a lot of them had very small windows and things mm. like this. Your heat wasn't escaping. And then we came along in the 70s, and if you remember, I remember living in a house years ago, a rented house, and it was freezing because mm. the whole thing was nearly windows and there yeah. were single glazed. And yeah, it was the, totally the fashion for those bungalows at the time. Do you remember? They were huge oh, windows. Yeah. Yeah, badly insulated and all of that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. A lot of I know you weren't following what happened with with COP, but uh, King Charles went over there and he he was very radical in terms of his views on climate change. But again, loads of hypocrisy because uh, the UK are still investing in exploration of uh, gas and and oil. The Americans are still doing that in. But in I think Alaska. we we have to do that until such time as we have. A, a, a really viable and affo- not mm. only viable but affordable. It has to be affordable for the for the average person as well mm. to to be able to have transport, be able to have heat and light. This needs to be affordable, not just available. Yes. Can uh, I can I ask you about your solar panels? I mean, have they made a huge difference to you? I have no. They're they're probably almost obsolete. I I have what they call the evacuated tubes. They're the round tubes that you would see rather than. <clears throat> oh rather yes, than yes, I remember panels. them. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea being that you, it's solar irradiation. And I mean, on a good clear day, I was my hot water, it will be, I mean, in the summer, sometimes if we have clear weather, and even in the winter, if you remember the bad winter about 10, 2010, I think sure. it was, yeah. I, had, <clears throat> I had very good hot water. Um, they, they, they are, I think they're pretty old now, but right. I think there's newer ones on the market that are starting to come out, and they're a com- combination of PV... Uh, photovoltaic and the evacuated tube so that they will also produce some, some uh, electrical current that you can store or use for other matters. I'll send back to the I, grid or whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting, but do, do you know what concerns me, and uh, this isn't a dig at you in any way, Tony, but I wonder what happens when, when they become obsolete. How, well, do you, that, how, that how, is, how do you get rid of them? Like, where, well, that is, that is one of the other things, and of course, making them... <clears throat> I think a lot of these things, they require a lot of um, minerals and, and elements that are mined and things. So yeah. We see the wind generators, the blades, <coughs> they're fiberglass and they're yeah. not recyclable. I think one of the things they're doing at the moment is trying to grind them up and put them in concrete. So I believe, yeah. So, the batteries in the electric cars, of course. That, the, this is, yeah. it, you know, a lot of it, I think there's a lot of it there that's not as green as we are led to believe. Mm. And I think there, there is obviously, we saw there about traffic in England being stopped, uh, stuck for 19 hours yeah, on a road. Yeah. I wouldn't particularly like to be in a in an electric vehicle trying to stay warm in, in traffic like nor, that. Nor, nor me, for sure. Tony, really good to talk to you today. Okay. Really interesting. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning bye. to you, Tony. Bye-bye to you now. Let's go to, to Dave. Good morning to you, Dave. This is Tori, friend. And to, 
I, good to talk to you today, Dave. I, I was uh, reading a piece from the paper there, I think it was the Daily Mail, who uh, they had a bit of a poll there as well. They were saying more than half of the people living in Dublin reluctant to visit the city centre uh, after the recent riots there. But you think this has been sort of going like in this manner for some time? But it has, though. I mean, like, I'd love to know like, if they'd have done that poll before uh, everything kicked off there uh, last week. Or, no, geez, the week before, actually. Um mm. You, you know how many people would have said the same thing because like we're like I'm we're originally from Dublin now we're we're down here like 22 years now yeah. and I've noticed myself like there are very few reasons I would have to go back to Dublin because I'll be honest with you it's a kit it's it's you know for a capital city of a country it's it's kind of an embarrassment to be honest with you but like as the years have gone on um we've kind of noticed like say when I was younger uh you'd have people doing drugs but they'd be doing down an alleyway mm nowadays it's done openly out in the streets. They're openly dealing drugs, taking drugs. There's graffiti all over the place. The streets are filthy, dirty. Um, you little scumbags walk around in their Canada Goose jackets, basically causing hassle left, right and centre. And there's near a guard to be seen. You know, like Dublin was on a downward spiral anyway. I think this was just the final nail in the coffin for it. And is it down to policing, Dave, as far as you're concerned? Of course it is. I mean, like if you think about a, a, a perfect example, um, we were we were in Dublin there summer, not last, no, not summer gone, summer before. Myself, the brother, and the young fellow, we were walking up along the street, and it, you know, like it was on one side of the street where they, you know, they have those beautiful old Georgian buildings. Yes. We're walking down towards uh, Houston Station, and um, uh, a young lad taps me in the arm and goes, "Dad, what are they doing?" And I looked across the road, and then up on top of the steps, there's people smoking crack. Down the bottom of the steps, there's people dealing crack. And I was like, congratulations, son. You just saw your first crackhead. Now, when I was younger, that wouldn't have happened because the guards would have been on top of them in minutes. You know, and I, we walked, like, we parked up in the Phoenix Park. We walked into town. We, we basically did a big loop of the city while we were there. And the only time I saw a guard was outside Collins Barracks Museum because there was an event on. You know, walking, and like, Collins Street itself is just, it's it's dilapidated looking. Like it's a, it's like the main street in the country, we'll say, right? And all it's full of is just takeaways and bookies and junkies. And that's it. Like we, we stayed in aggression there two years ago. We went to a gig uh, with a few friends of ours. And we stayed in aggression. Now, once upon a time, people like me wouldn't even step foot inside the aggression. Yeah. Really, really you know posh. I mean? Really posh yeah. years ago. Yeah. You know, and we got yeah. we got a room between four of us for like 150 euros. And is that because of where it is on O'Connell Street there? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah. you know, like you can charge big money for, you know, where you're located. And I mean, if a hotel like that, with the history that it has, because it's a fabulous hotel, it's a beautiful, beautiful hotel. Beautiful hotel. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but if they're charging that kind of money, they're just mad. Now, I know now they're probably charging an arm and a leg to stay yeah. there, but at the time it was around COVID times. But yeah, no, but it is. like The, the whole city, it's, it's almost like it's lost its identity. And a lot of it is down to police. Like you you go to any, like it was in New York a couple of years ago, and there were police everywhere. You Your, your normal beat cops, you had uh, armed police. You go to London, you'll see the same thing. You go to any capital city in any Western nation, and you will see a strong police presence. I mean... Even and, and do you remember, Dave, what, what New York did years ago? I think Giuliani was, was mayor there at the time. This this notion of zero tolerance, complete zero tolerance, you know. Yeah, and... Is, and that, is, is it similar to that? Is that what's required? Well, I mean, like, to be fair to Giuliani, he kind of went off the deep end in recent times, but yeah. he, he did clean it up, and yeah. New York had one of the highest crime rates in anywhere in yeah. the Western world. It was, like, nearly... 
the murder capital of the world at one point. But um, no, but like I, yeah, it, it needs to be. I mean, like one of the problems we have is uh, if you're under eighteen and you commit a serious offence, there's not really a whole lot that's going to be done to you. Mm. You know, and then we also have problems with the judiciary as well, where you've a guy who'll be pulled in front of a judge, he'll get free legal aid, and he'll be like, oh, he had an awful childhood, this, he did that. He's a string of previous convictions as long as both your arms put together, and he'll be like, oh, you're bound to the peace, or, you know, we'll give you bail, or, do you know what I mean? There's a very, it, it seems to almost be like, if you're a victim of crime, you have to do more work to see justice than if you're the perpetrator of the, of the same crime. You know, like if you're some little scumbag scroll from you know, the inner city is going around smashing up um, houses or, you know, robbing cars or robbing delivery drivers, you get pulled in front of a judge. What's a judge actually going to do to you? Really? You know, and they know it. Like they know, that's one of the reasons why you see like a lot of kids are like uh, under 18 kids are drug mules because if they got caught with a big, big fist of drugs on them, realistically nothing is going to be done and they know it you know the guard- and is that why we see them taunting the the guardie then i mean you know i'm being so disrespectful i mean t- just unbelievable stuff oh yeah no that's definitely it because they know there's there's really there's, they you know, do. Yeah. there's no repercussions to their to their crimes like a friend of mine she's um a prison officer inside in uh, limerick and she said like the lads inside in the prison, they 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 give serious respect to the prison officers. But she said once they see the guards, though, the abuse that the guards get off them. My God, and, and, and that springs from what you're talking about, is that it's that they feel that they're powerless in an awful lot of ways. Actually, look, it was a cherry orchard there last year where the squad car drove into the estate and they were surrounded by teenagers. You know, like when I was a teenager, if the cats came up to me, like even now as a 36-year-old grown-up, if I'm driving down the road and I see the blue lights and I have everything on my car, I, I still get nervous for, yeah, me too. for yeah, no me reason too. whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but like even a lot of it though, I have um, friends who live in Dublin and they said kind of with the lockdowns and stuff, it was almost like the scumbags took over the city. Do you know, like they, they you know, like you've... Um, you know, your average everyday Joe Soap doesn't really bother going in. And I mean, this isn't a new phenomenon, though. I mean, I used to go up to stay with a brother of mine years ago after we first moved down. And he said it himself, he goes, he wouldn't walk up a common street at nighttime. You know, and even when we were there, guy yeah. in the hotel said, hey, when you're coming out of the gate there later on, get a taxi back. You don't want to be walking up here at nighttime. But what but you saw like- on Friday night, would that lead you to believe, though? I mean, when you see the guards going in there with, with force... Would that lead you to believe that there's a change of mind now, a change of policing? Was that a sort of a watershed? Well, you know what? Like, I don't blame the guards. We consider if the guards is heavy-handed with so No, like, I personally, I believe in proportional force yeah. in the situation. Yeah. Like, if a guard, you know, grabs a guy who's being a drunken gobshite and, you know, smashes his face off a window, obviously that's OTT. Yeah. It should happen. But if you have young folks firing fireworks and stuff like at the guards and the guard comes in and takes the legs out from underneath him with a baton, yeah. that's, that's perfectly proportional. But the problem is, like, I know we can't talk about it because it's, I, I don't know if it's been before the court yet, but like a certain case of guards, you know, when they rammed someone. Yeah. And, you know, like, so I don't, you know, we've, we've kind of, since the recession, we've kind of neutered our own police force by they're not exactly well paid. Yeah, for and the and I thought they looked neutered on Thursday night. But it was like as if they were given the go-ahead on Friday night, go in there and do your job. Like No, that was it, yeah. 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 But like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like, if you're a guard and you you crack some little scumbag across the the, the shoulder or the legs yeah. with a bat, and the next thing you know, you, there's a complaint put into GSOC and you're yeah. having to come in 
and explain your actions. You know, like, I mean, it's all well and good for us to step back after with the, you know, with the beauty of hindsight mm. and say, well, maybe you should have done this, maybe you should have done that, where they're just reacting in the moment. But you can even see how the public order unit, like, you see it anywhere else. You have two rows of shields and bats, but these were like a half a row, and then one lad's out front, and another lad's over here, and another lad's over here. Yeah. Like, there was just, there was no organisation in it. And then I heard, I know I don't know how true this is, so take it with a pinch of salt, but apparently in a lot of the stations, they don't have room for the, the riot gear, so they have to keep them at home. So some of the guards had to go home and get their riot gear and then come back into town. My God. Dave, really good to talk to you today, and thank you for making time for us. Thanks, Dave. Thank, oh, you. Well, thank you, and good morning to you. That's uh, Dave. Uh, news is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Some breaking news for you now. Eamon Ryan, uh, Minister Eamon Ryan, won't make a return trip from Dubai's COP28 summit uh, for the Doyle vote on the Justice Minister. Uh, Eamon Ryan has said he will now not need to make a return flight, so he won't be in the Doyle for the vote. He has arranged the pairing with uh, Jennifer Whitmore of the Sock Dems, which is kind of interesting in light of what the Taoiseach had to say yesterday, that you couldn't uh, do a pairing where a vote of confidence, uh, a vote of no confidence is a concern. So, that's all very interesting. Deputy Matthew McGrath joins me now. Matty, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. What, good what, are you, what are you making of that, Matty? Um, Eamon Ryan, no, not coming home. Um, friend, would you mind just if I could, at the outset, to, to sympathise with you know, a good friend of yours and a great position and great Irishman, um, our friend in the post, and it's just so, so, so sad that untimely day has so much to give. A proud Tipperary man, and indeed it's great that his cartage will be coming back to Tipperary I hear for your station around sometime around Friday, but look, he was looked up to by so many, many people. Not treated very nice, often by our national media and national mm-hmm. <laughs> television, really, but Shinsuke Lena. And also, if I could wish um, Councillor Mike Fitzgerald, long standing councillor, you know, the very, very best in his decision to retire. A huge uh, standing service of, you know, almost 50 years, and he's laid dead before him. And wish himself, uh, Mike and Mary and his mother, Jane, and the whole family, the very, very best. Very, very good indeed. What, what about that, Matty? Because so many people incensed about the notion that Eamon Ryan would come home and saw it as hypocrisy and the like. Now it, it seems that he can't. But the Taoiseach said yesterday that you can't have a pairing in a vote of no confidence. What, what is the story around that, Matty? Well, that's the first time I heard that from the Taoiseach. I mean, pairs have been arranged. You don't get pairs sometimes because of the charged, uh, you know, a debate and it kind of is, it could fall, cause the government to fall and people are reluctant to pair. But sure, I mean, the Greens, uh, sorry, the Social Democrats are an item with, with uh, the Greens and all their policies. So it was obvious that one of those people would pay for them and, and rightly so. And not to have them, it's bad enough to have the hundreds and thousands of jets flying over, mm. to, do, uh, over to where it's on in the UAE. Indeed, I met the UAE ambassador last week in Dublin, but to think that this co- this COP and they're continuing with thousands of flights of objects back and forward, mm. then, and not, not so much maybe in the UAE, but in other countries, they've held it 
they had to fly in 10,000 soldiers. And I mind uh, all the hangers-on, the NGOs that go, and the numbers of jets, and this is this is ridiculous. And, you know, it's cop on they need, not COP. And we need to deal with climate change just uh, sensitively. Not in this dramatic decision, but Minister Ryan, of course, couldn't miss it because he's the cheerleader for this in Ireland. And tell him on how great we are. Punishing, as my colleague said on radio this morning, Michael, anyway, punishing Irish citizens, freezing their houses, farmers put out of business, you know, motorists being penalised with, with, with cap, uh, penal carbon tax, etc. So they've lost their own of themselves quite simply and they need to cop on, as I said, not going to cop. Yeah, I, I just don't, you know, from a PR point of view, how they would have let it go so far because a lot of people are very, very annoyed about the notion that he would come back to Ireland and then return to Dubai again. So, it, like, from a PR point of view, it was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? Listen, there was many spin doctors and spending a fortune on spin doctors. This government is totally dysfunctional at this stage, totally dysfunctional. There was never a fear of the border conference because there's a band of independents there. They might as well join Fine Gael and one in our own county that they vote with the government no matter what goes on. And they speak on two sides of their mouth. You're talking about Michael Lowry, obviously. Well, look, yeah, he, raised, he raised the immigration issue last week about uh, Ross Gray um, and produced him. And then I called the vote on it 20 minutes later for a full debate in the dollars, I have called several that he voted with the government. <laughs> I mean, talk confusion. And and, 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 and been, been on two sides, Gawhave and Boher. Like, you're either having a debate on immigration. I've been trying for for, 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 for eight months, uh, six months, three months, relentlessly. But look, there was no fear of this vote of confidence. Uh, the minister, look, I have no confidence in the minister for justice, less in the brigade commissioner. But now is not the time. And, semantics by Sinn Féin and they'll win it anyway hands down by six or seven mm. votes now how, how will you vote where that's concerned I couldn't possibly vote conference in the, in the other commissioner when I've called publicly and privately in the door next where for him to be you yeah. know is resign or go and this minister is just totally inept out of our debt, totally, with the situation. And the most basic part of the justice system is to support the Gardaí and the Army, and they've been run down to nothing, both, and the Navy. So that's one of the most fundamental aspects of our national, you know, security policies, to have proper policing, proper Army, and proper... Um, so you, know, you, you vote with Sinn Féin on this, will you? This is about my vote on my own. This is a Sinn Féin motion. I'd be accused often of voting with Sinn Féin. I'm in opposition, leader of our group in opposition. We often have called votes. I often join Sinn Féin at votes. They join mean one last week, um, you know, when I called about that they wanted to be uh, one of the two, two um, you know, nominees on it for, for tellers. And that happens. We're in opposition. So, you I mean, I, I think it's semantics by Sinn Féin, definitely. And the, the lecture is about security. My courtness go back 20 years and we saw, I mean, who was attacking the Gardaí and their the, the fair, fair fellow friends, you know what I mean? So, and, and you know, it's, it's all hypocritical and people can see through this too and asking it through. But you'd wonder, I mean, I'm sure you saw the results of that poll in, in uh, the Sunday Indo yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was support for, for Helen McEntee, for instance, um, saying yeah. that uh, she shouldn't resign uh, following I, the, the, the riots and the like, yeah. I just had bits of Tony, I think, when I was travelling. Uh, and look, polls, you get the answer you pay for. You pay the piper because of June. I have no faith in polls. Mm. I have faith well, in was a poll. legitimate company, in fairness, now that carried out the polls. I don't know who carried it out, I don't care. But uh, listen, I've seen it before. When they picked the Citizens Assembly, a, a, a very well-recognised polling company was asked to pick 100 people. And uh, they, they left out 11 counties out of, out of, um, out of that uh, Citizens Assembly, including Tipperary. 11, the whole centre of the country. How could that be balanced? Mm. Then when 15 or 16 of those people they left, uh, pulled out of the Citizens Assembly for various reasons, they were asked to, fill, to refill the 16 places and they found up their friends and family 
Is that polling? And they got paid to do that. And I've raised this in the Dáil Record several times, but look, you, you get what you pay for. But mm. Too many polling companies now, too many NGOs in this country costing $6 billion a year, and they're literally running the country. It's kind of interesting to see in it, though, and again, you know, whatever cold water you want to throw in the poll itself, but, you know, the, the, the people who got involved, they were asked, which of the following would you prefer as a government? And 42%, uh, the largest number, preferring the current coalition that we have, Matty. Yeah, amazing. I can't speak for any of them, but like, a lot of people have seen too. Sinn Féin now, they've become the part of the government now. I've told them in the Florida at all. Is that because of their immigration policy, do you think? Is well, that... many other policies as well. They're more like the government every day of the week. But you demand to attack the government. They're supporting them in many, many issues. Many issues. Uh, take the hate speech legislation, which we'll discuss in a minute, other things like that. Every one of them. They're they voted with me against the hate speech legislation, but all the speakers that spoke in second stage spoke uh, hugely in favour. They couldn't come quick enough. But if they're playing politics then when it comes to a vote, they want to be, as I said, a tight, they go ahead, if they want to be on both sides of the road. They're being found out, and thankfully they've been found out in time. Um, you're going to, well, possibly anyway, you're considering complaining to the Gardaí over Edon or Riodon's comments that linked you in some way to, to the riots in Dublin. Did you ever hear anything so absurd? And look, first of all, my my thoughts and my prayers and sympathy are with that little child and and the, te- the teacher and the other children and the whole school community. Uh, and there, I, I walked past this Tuesday again, as I said, and I, I didn't go to the school on the Tuesday before. I had the kids out at break time playing, and in fact, I wouldn't have known them. I was on a side street. Such a horrific and tragic event, and our thoughts and prayers are with them. And it wasn't the time for, you know, Mary Lou opened at, at, at a tragic scene and, you know, being political or anybody for that matter I didn't make any comment on it on Facebook or anything for at least 48 hours because it was a terrible sad issue the whole situation on the street then that happened many of those people I said didn't even know what had happened up in the up, up, the tragedy you know um, and if that was in any other country it would be called a terrorist attack but it wasn't here in this country but that'll tell you the narrative that's been peddled here so look they're right, what Aon or I don't really pay much attention to Aon or Raiden, but mm. certainly he's, in, he's bringing in, well, he's a big advocate for the hate speech legislation. And if this wasn't hate speech, I don't know what it was. Ha- I mean, have you taken but, legal advice on that, Matty? Have you? Yes, yes. Right. And, he he yes. predicted that you won't go with this. He said you're all cowards. Won't go with which? That you won't go with uh, the legal option on this, that he said you're all oh, yeah, cowards. He, he, because he'd be in the front page of all the papers with his liberal left media. He'd love that. And to go on for maybe three, four years, and it's frightfully expensive. But look, the public had to find arbitrators on me and on him and in his own constituencies. And indeed, look, we'll deal with that. But certainly, the Gardaí um, need to investigate, you know, they're talking about Conor McGregor and other. What he said was far worse from a, a member of, of Dolly and to say that. But look, that's not unusual. We've been, I've been subject to vitriol and attacking the Dáil on, on a regular basis. We had it again last week from, from Paul Murphy and, and others. Well, you, you're and, being linked to the far right in some way. The so-called new far, far right. As I said, as a book of I used to submit to Far East to magazine to support their missions, our missionary priests and nuns are over the world in Africa and Kenya and God knows what places, and lead the Africa magazine. So Far Right now is a lovely term to cover up the ineptitude of the government, and that couldn't be far right. Anyone that knows me, no, I'm not Far Right, I don't like it, but I represent the people, and that's my fundamental duty. First of all, they put me there. As I said, we, we here in this country, anyone coming to work or study, I mean, I contribute positive to this country here, I want them to be integrated, and they have been, 
many of our companies and businesses and hospitality and you name it wouldn't uh, wouldn't um, wouldn't be surviving now without you know a lot of our, our, our foreign nationals and we need them. I actually attended a very important seminar in the AV room last week. It was about uh, black women and they were making their cases. I um, can't get the name there on the, on, the, on the briefing now, but they were brilliant and they have. They have a huge testimony to the fact that they're just not getting fair treatment or fair play, not in their own countries by, by an ultra, but here in Ireland we like to patronise and talk about it, but it was very riveting to listen to them, listen to their stories, and some of them are here in quite significant uh, jobs and positions, but, but not not being recognised, uh, you know, the way they should be, or uh, uh, either. I mean, and people would be would be nearly hissing when I arrive in something like that. That I'm, they want to. Pay, that you're, me you're, that you're the villain in 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 some way. You you you're you're independent group, so you're going to use your slot this week, Matty, to debate the issue of uh, emigration. And you're making a very good point. In fairness, you're saying this is discussed everywhere else, but not in the the doll, because certainly it's it's the big topic for us here every day. Yes. And I thank Tip of them for that. Fran, I've been at this with, with 15 months. I've been talking about a cap on the number of refugees. Not because I was I'm not so many human or, or, or concerned about the war, but that, that war that's suicide. But the, the real reason was we can't deal with them properly. And there's no point in bringing in, you know, me bringing in 100 people to my house Christmas Day if I can only handle 20. It's just simple as that, and to make a, an analogy. But there's been a 27% increase in Ukrainian and um, on, on non Ukrainian uh, international. Protection, uh, protection accommodation services, the IPAS figures in 2023, that's a 37% increase. And currently we're accommodating 26,097 and over at over 200 centres throughout Ireland. These numbers are, were provided by IPAS and, uh, you know, it's a 150% increase since March 2022. These are not my figures. These are from IPAS. And, you know, I mean, the cost of the IPAS accommodation alone has gone to $365 million, uh, this year, expected to, to be over half a, half a billion. And most of those, Georgia has emerged as the leading country of origin in 2022. And that's considered a safe yeah. country, no war. So, listen, we have to look at this, examine it in a cool but, but a like few the, weeks ago, the Taunishta and the Taoiseach spoke about capacity being an issue now. So, I mean, they came out themselves and did a, a turnaround on this. And so yes, and at a business committee meeting with the last three, four months, I've been raising it every whole Thursday, getting absolutely no support from any of the parties, including Sinn Féin. And about shortly after those statements from the Taoiseach and the Taunishta, which I pointed out to them in the doll when I called a vote on it, some weeks ago, uh, that they had made this change. Then I got a bit of support from Dennis Nocton and from Train at a meeting about three and a half weeks, three weeks ago. And yes, last Thursday, absolutely this. They've just locked it up again, locked it down, telling us that we only want to inflame the situation. We don't want to inflame the situation. We, like I just said, in taxis, in, I got a taxi from the Bonds Hospital in Trinidad last week, and I got a lecture the whole way in from an Irish taxi. And I said, I can't say those things because I'm racist. Well, he said, and he had to say, well, I'm racist, he said, because I, I want to protect my own people and my own country. And he's every day in the streets of Dublin. That was maybe an extreme case, but it's on the loose. It's discussed in, in workplaces, public houses, you know, every place, people out now for Christmas, party nights out, you name it, on your station. But we can't discuss it in our national parliament. It's a crying shame and I, I think that's mm. a total suppression. And when they suppress things like that, uh, you know what I mean, they're, they're suppressing a national debate or dialogue on immigration policy. And I believe that has exacerbated the community fear and undermined social cohesion. And they're getting the exact opposite uh, what they think they're getting. And what so they're by, not, by not discussing it, you think it's having a negative effect, yes. isn't it? Yes, and, and, 
and I saw last week. Now I wasn't invited to but I saw last week where some experts from some of the very highly paid NGOs were in telling people, and they were linking all this with with, with, with the different legislation and the LBGTQI and all this and everything else, and how to keep the debate, keep the narrative, and keep it afloat. Imagine, and we're paying those people, and they come in to to, to tell an invited number of politicians uh, how to keep this uh, uh, narrative going, how not to debate it. So they've caused this suppression and a fundamental fear, which is a pity because, as I said, many people open their homes to Ukrainians. I've had foreign and, 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 and Kenya, I've had an intern, a wonderful lady, Simarit, weekly working with me from, from Eritrea. You know what I mean? Most people can deal with this because any country goes in now that's multicultural and we want to deal with it. But you can't deal with it by suppressing it and by putting mm-hmm. people down. And this whole narrative, uh, of, we're the best buys in Europe, we're the best buys at the WF and all over the world and we'll do and it's needed and we're, we'll be leaders out here. When uh, things are so difficult and people at home themselves with, with so many homeless. There, there, was, an, there was a very interesting figure from, I, I can't find the exact one, it's on in front of me now, uh, from that poll yesterday where I think it was 28% of people said that they had thoughts about immigration that they would be afraid to voice for fear of being branded far right. Now that's that's a lot of people. That's uh, yes, and I can see it. I'm meeting them. I'm getting calls from all over the country, texts, emails, Facebook, and calls from all over the country. This issue is going on out in Wicklow. There, two weeks ago, they wanted to put 900 into a house. Big house like Narcopoli, out in the middle of the country with no shops, no, no services at all near it. Do you know what I mean? So, and same way in Fermi, same way in Ross Lear and, and Fair Joseph, Deputy Verona Murphy. She has she has um, taken legal advice about a six and five to the county council. Look, the, the problem now is there's a recipe here for to make big money by greedy developers, and they'll buy any kind of a building. And anyone looking around can see them. Could be derelict for 20 years because they see this as a cash cow. And that's, just, that's not a waste of humanitarian. Mm. Our people went all over the world and still are as, uh, as missionaries and helping out and, and people, you know, go out doing the Catholic operations every year, numerous things. And the people going out now with the Hope Foundation, you know, in places. Look, and that's the way we want to educate our young people. But this zipping of the lips, sealing of lips, Force these people into into places everywhere, no consultation. So, our motion, if you allow me to go to some, we have some very, very, very uh, salient and good, reasonable points in it in, in our motion, and it's calling on the government to recognise that the government's suppression of the national debate or dialogue and immigration policy has really made the situation worse. Put in place, you know, operational protocols and procedures to carry out a full consultation with the East local community where a new international peace uh, protection accommodation, IPAD centre is based. That's not unreasonable to ask. It's, it's not unreasonable, but the only thing is that they keep allowing people in. I mean, they, like if you do consult with people, the people will say, not in my backyard, Matty, you see. So if they keep allowing people in, and they go down that road of consultation, there certainly won't be any place to put these people. Friend, the longer that they keep it suppressed and keep the debate suppressed in the Parliament, the more tensions are going to and the more fears. You know yourself, you're buying a car, buying something else. If you're not being told the full mm-hmm. story, you get your... Well, several people are giving out to me this morning, in fact, that I can't give them information on, on, on uh, the, the status of that little child and then to the the teacher as well who's still in hospital so because we don't have any information no, no, there is no well, information I, I, I've got information sent to me the weekend but look I'm going to discuss it today I'll be asking that question because you know this is this is totally again <clears throat> no smoke without fire and I wish I hope the little child recovers and recovers fully and, just, and the care worker but I mean this again it's, it's, there's a taboo a lockdown and a, a blockage of information and that's not good and mm. then 
people's that's, uh, supposition. You know what I'm saying? So know, yeah. it, it, it's very, very difficult. I also want to put an open door, our motion does, to, to the unlimited inward immigration. Ensure Ireland is not getting asylum, um, residency or citizenship, anyone convicted of violent crime. So that's not unreasonable request. That's our motion. I know our part of it. I know we'll be pilloried, we'll be decried, we'll be called all kinds of obscenities. The Calcola had to be last week to Deputy Murphy uh, for his uh, attacking on me. I wasn't in the chamber. He's since, uh, since spoken to Calcola. The channel's in there to deal with that. But look, criticism from, from me from Paul Murphy, who runs I've seen him. Uh, but but you see, you will, you will be accused, and I heard it on National Radio on Saturday, you, you, you will be accused of hypocrisy because, I mean, your friend and colleague Michael Healy Ray is providing accommodation for Ukrainians and still then himself and his brother Danny is standing up at meetings and talking about asylum seekers coming in. So there is elements of hypocrisy there, I suppose. Friend, I was asked that, that programme on Saturday. I declined because of the motion coming up. Michael Healy Ray can speak for himself. If yeah. he wants to have a death, that's his business. I can't control what he does. Oh, oh, of course, but you take my point, Matty. I mean, I that, will be used, that will be used against you, you know. My attitude to that, to the, to the sticks and stones will break your bones. You heard that from your, from your late mother going to school, yep. I'm sure. But names will never hurt you. It was supposed to be two grown-ups who are mostly elected to the door and to resort to this kind of rhetoric and, and, and uh, violence. And Sorry, not... Uh, almost incitement violence and there were some kind of Neanderthals from the backwards that we should be kept uh, silent. They're afraid of their life of losing the grip and the media that they've had now with so many different referendums, so many different issues the last 20 years really and the, the media aren't independent on impartial, the national media by any shape, make or form. I mean I saw where Jonas, I've seen Jonas I saw it literally totally destroyed the, the victim impact statement that the late actually Murphy's partner made. Mm. I would have thought that something like that was sacrosanct if a man like that was so traumatised in the family and he was fit and willing and able to do an impact victim impact statement. And his comments could be torn asunder. And she also yeah. said that. It was described as hate, of, hate speech, yeah. Yeah, most of the media didn't even carry it. Mm. How have we come to that situation in our country that a victim impact statement, someone belonged to you? And I would like to put it to that person if it's someone belonged to her was murdered in that way. Would you feel the same? I can't believe it that they take a victim impact statement and tell you you can't. And can I be devil's advocate, Matty? Is there an argument to be said, you know, that you have to keep a lid on on, on this in terms of just not inciting something like we saw on Thursday night again? You know, I I, I don't know. I don't know. Can I go back to the Thursday night? And and one of the evenings I was left over an early at two o'clock. I had a a very important function temporarily. But look, um, there's two different things here completely. As I said in the outset, I'd say half of those people, Luther, maybe 60% of them, didn't know anything what happened yeah. or really what happened. Yeah. And they just saw it as opportunistic. Yeah. But then for the, the Minister for Justice and Open Economy, scumbags, they'd be name calling. These mainly are people that have become from deprived areas of the city, intergenerational now, and, and that we've lost them. And we saw, six months ago now, we saw them two ladies, in a, in a, two female guards in a squad car, reversing out of a place in some part of was it, was mm-hmm. the fingers. Yeah. All right, wait for us now, but remember that? But for they got out of there, the thing would have yeah. happened. So this is happening because we're black and Gaudi. And I'm not saying it's all about uh, the, the, the stick. We need to have community Gaudi. Now our community Gaudi has been shut down and temporary to fill the numbers because the commissioner wants to make this new roster. We need more investment. 
more, um, you know, early and more, as I said, the guard on the beat that gets into those houses, those areas, you can't have no-go areas that the squad because they're afraid to go in and they don't have the backup and they know that they have the backup. I mean, so there's two issues to that. And by labelling everyone as far right, it's a lovely cover. Like you were setting a crash crop over a field of after, after ploughing it or after harvesting it. Cover over everything. Lovely green cover, but my goodness, there's a lot of issues underneath the, the keg, underneath the, underneath the pressure cooker. And, 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 and most people would agree with on that, but do you have issues with the likes of some of these far right characters who were because I heard it myself they were inciting people to go and make 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 hay because of this, you know? Anybody who incited anybody to go in and do damage in a capital city or do any damage or rob or steal. And I said and the dawn my speech too wasn't picked up that I didn't see any working men's boots picked up or, or stolen yeah. or taken away yeah. from the shops I course I have issues and, and, and just to address Paul Murphy saying I've been photographed with people I have been photographed with people unfortunately I was walking down O'Connor Street in the pro-life rally which I support every year and a gentleman ran in beside me and someone took the camera to take a picture what do you do? I didn't know who he was same as I did all I was there with mothers and teachers that were out and who's concerned lovely decent people working people who have concerns about the curriculum in, in, in the national schools and I was standing with them and somebody comes across and jumps in and has somebody set up with a camera what do you do? And I have another picture I met somebody in Care, the lovely Care Castle again I know and this person was with and they asked me for a photograph I had no idea who they were I did the lady and I would depend on the lady to, you know, to ensure that the people I was in the photograph was okay but mm. that's two years ago and for Carl Murphy then to make a college of those and, and call me a far right when he incited that right, what happened to John Burton? How can people forget what happened to John Burton, John Burton and her yeah. staff? And her staff. And when he prances around Dublin now with a communist flag around him, and when we're sick and tired of having a debate in the last, um, since the Gaza attack, since that horrible, horrific attack by Hamas into Israel, and, uh, and then the massive, unnecessary attack by Israel. And when they were around with Gaza, with Gaza scaffs and Hamas scaffs and, and, and IP alone, God knows what. I mean, who, did they ever think who they're dealing with? Are they? the horror so it's easy to label people but they're, they're just carried away on this mad communist zealous uh, issue like well, I, I'm sure they would disagree with you uh, profoundly he on, on, on that. He wears the flag. Of it, yeah. He wears the flag uh, going around the okay. place. He wouldn't do this work as Michael Lee Waits said in his life. And they hated the word W-O-R-K. And these people are, are striking for everything. And mm. I feel sorry now for the businesses in the centre of Dublin around the doll. There's one lady there with an excellent cafe. Barriers up around the place. In actual fact, you know, I, I think there should be maybe one day a month for protests or something because people have to have the right to protest. But the fact that these people now are being incited and, and as you said, yes, some far right people incite them. No tolerance for any of that. I support the Gardaí. But when I was coming down from Dublin the other night to meet the squad cars flying up and bands and, and, and people carrying yeah. flashing lights heading up to Dublin from all over the country, that's diminishing our resources here further and I bet yeah, is, yeah. and, and we made that point Maddie sadly I must leave it there just but before you go Fred yeah. I just hope that her emotion will be calm uh, 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 and reasonable and sensible and we're, as I said we're trying to uh, do what we are paid to do is talk to Dolly bring the message of the people onto the floor of Dolly and, and have a calm and reflective okay. debate we did pass four, 4 billion on the budget in spite of the harsh times for all these issues of immigration in Ukraine and everything else and again to encourage people I know the mayor opened the book of condolences at the county council office in San Mel for, for our, our late friend and colleague and men promoted our heritage and our song and culture in uh, the county council office for people to sign that book for shame and, and All right, Maddie, good to talk to you and thanks very much indeed for your time today. Thank you, Gurmil Mahagat. Uh, we'll take a break back in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Time now to talk global politics and glad to be joined as always by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Good to see you today. I suppose uh, globally the big show in town is uh, COP28. Um, you're posing the question though, can a climate summit in an oil rich petrol state actually change anything Thomas it's yeah. an interesting debate that, it is it? it's a particularly interesting debate and it's look the location of this was always going to be contentious I mean the United Arab Emirates Dubai is a petrol state which is the name given to a country that makes its revenues from oil and gas uh, and it is one of the largest petrol states on the planet its economy practically revolves around oil and gas so the fact that COP was located here in the first place seems a little bit bizarre in certain respects but I suppose there is uh, an acknowledgement that these countries need to shift production away they need to diversify their economies and maybe by holding such events here it will help to spur the investment and encourage encourage different forms of investment but certainly that's not the way it has been received so far we had that diplomatic spat between President, our own for, uh, former President, Mayor Robinson, and Sultan Al-Jaber, who is the head of the COP summit uh, yeah. in Dubai. A really nasty exchange of, uh, exchange of words between them, exchange of opinions, which left many people wondering, I mean, what is Dubai's game here? What, what, what yeah, exactly? Well, he, he declared, to the best of my knowledge, there was no science behind the call to urgently phase out fossil fuels, which, like... You'd imagine is 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 incredible that he it, would say that. It's r- remarkable, given that there is overwhelming scientific evidence to the contrary. Uh, of course, he's head of the UAA. He, he National is. oil company, isn't he? Yeah, well? he's, yeah, he's head of the oil company as well. Yeah. So he has, you know, he has taken it. Uh, but it is a, it was a remarkable series of developments. Now, as for the COP in general, how much can it achieve? You know, what are, what are its targets? A lot have been made of these uh, nationally determined contributions, the contributions of member states to a kind of a loss and damage fund for poorer countries on the front line experiencing climate change. The Taoiseach was out on Saturday. He committed, I think, was 25, 25 million, million yeah. uh, over 2024 and 2025. So a, not an, not an significant sum of money. No, but is that not just shifting funds around? Because what is it, 250 million or something that we're, we're given entirely? But of he's only taking the money from that fund, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just shifting monies around. Really, it, it, you know? it really is, and it really we have to question, I suppose, uh, the legitimacy of our of our contributions as well as that of other countries. Yeah. Uh, the main diplomatic actors at this, the lights of the United States, the lights of China, a lot of them, I suppose, the focus, the war in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine as well, but the war in Gaza has distracted maybe some of the focus from the COP summit and I think uh, leaders will be kind of frustrated in that regard but they're still making the efforts to get there you know you had King Charles there the other day Rishi Sunak is set to arrive uh, I think Emmanuel Macron was out there so they're all going to be there they're all going to be Do you not be... find that hypocritical particularly where King Charles is concerned and indeed uh, Mr Sunak uh, as well because um, UK are still funding exploration of yeah, oil and gas they still yeah. and, and it's a little bit it, it it's it's hard to it's hard to believe really because they are exploring gas yeah. fields out in the North Sea there off the coast off the places like Newcastle uh, and places like that. So it, it 
it does strike you as a little bit peculiar, Rishi Sunak coming out. I suppose there has to be a balance here, but the big question is, and this is a question being posed at COP by, by diplomats and all attendees, do we phase out fossil fuels? Do we phase them out gradually? Or do we just phase them down? As in, do we reduce the scale of production and keep a certain level of fossil fuels Obviously, the lights of Dubai, the lights of those petro-states would want to see uh, a continued usage of fossil fuels and they genuinely believe that that can be married mm. with renewable energy and renewable technologies. But the rest of the world has said, no, look, we need to cut this out. We need to, we need to cut out these... And can that be done? I mean, renewables, could they take over from fossil fuels? Are, are we at that point? Thomas? I don't think we're there I yet. Think I, there I, there think, I think, you know, we talk about things like the 1.5 degree limit... There's been a lot of talk about that, about preventing the heating of the planet by 1.5 degrees. Yeah. I've heard different arguments. I've heard kind of slightly more innovative arguments which say that, you know, 1.5 degrees is a threshold we cannot meet now and we should put our energy into climate adaptation, other methods, things like there's one fascinating technology, solar geoengineering, which I think involves heating up particles in the atmosphere uh, and using them to reflect the rays of the sun elsewhere. So there are innovative solutions. Very to interesting. This. So this is the sort of technological uh, answers to the the, the issue is that precisely, is that yeah. precisely the adaptations that the world can make, and obviously this will have to be done in conjunction with a major reduction in fossil fuel use. Uh, obviously, countries will still have to up their renewable energy targets, but there are certain types of science and technologies that are coming on board, coming on stream that could help to alleviate the situation. And I think if more money is invested in them, well, we may get a little bit of benefit out of them. So right. it's, it's, it's a long-term game though, Fran. Interesting. The last COP, I suppose, we got them to deal with the inequality um, due to, to climate yeah. change. What, what will emerge from this as the big... Is the biggie, or do we know that yet? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I think I think there is still a lot of uh, a lot of frustration amongst poor developing countries on the front line with how climate change is being handled on a global scale. I think there is an awful lot of frustration there between the leaders of those countries. They see themselves as vulnerable, as being targeted. They're the ones suffering the brunt mm. of the climate destruction that is currently unfolding and it's a really difficult one to square. It's, a, it's going to be interesting to see what emerges as, as the main topics out of that. Uh, Netanyahu, has he finally got uh, a nemesis that could oppose him? He has a way? challenger in his midst. He has a challenger in his midst. His name is Benny Gantz. So he's a former security minister, he's a member of the War Cabinet, uh, and he is a prominent politician in Israel. He was part of the government prior to Netanyahu re-entering office this term around. Uh, but it is very interesting because he seems to be emerging now, emerging as maybe the figure who can potentially replace Benjamin Netanyahu. I was looking up some of the statistics, and obviously they have to be treated with a grain of salt, but 76% of people say they want Netanyahu out of office sooner or later. I, I found that incredible. Is that really based around the breach of security that resulted in that terrorist attack on Israel? Is it? I is think that? it is because, look, prior to this whole thing kicking off, Netanyahu was engaged in a series of controversial judicial reforms. The, the whole country was uh, was going apoplectic. It, it was dividing society in Israel. Then you had this, the, the, the Hamas invasion, uh, the absolute terrifying scenes which emerged there 
and Netanyahu was held culpable because he ultimately was the man in charge. The buck stops with him and it was a catastrophic security failure. Many Israelis still blaming Netanyahu for that. Many Israelis still looking at his performance since then and saying that it just hasn't been good enough. I mean, we still have, we, it's fantastic that we've uh, secured the release of, you know, so many hostages, mm. but there are still hostages trapped in Gaza. There are still hostages under the command of Hamas and Islamic Jihad, uh, which have yet to be retrie- retrieved. So there is a lot of disquiet, a lot of disharmony mm. between this population. But is it very him. unlikely that he'd be ousted until the war is finished? Yeah, I way, think in that? the short term his position is relatively safe. I think there is an acknowledgement now from everybody across the Israeli political spectrum that they need some some degree of stability to keep them going throughout the war. And I think Netanyahu staying in office, uh, I think his position is probably relatively safe for the time being, it doesn't seem to have yielded any change in his tactics. We see, just as the truce ends, Israel has gone back to the bombardment of the Palestinian territory of the Gaza Strip. So, you know, their actions, their war strategy hasn't changed all that much. I suspect it wouldn't change all that much under a figure like Benny Gantz either. He would probably maintain the same the same line, the same all-out strategy. But he would perhaps be a different, a different persona, a man with a bit of... He's a man with a bit of charisma. Uh, a yeah, man. How would the Americans view him? Do you think? Where, where does he stand on the political spectrum? Because I mean, if we see Netanyahu as, as a right-wing politician, as a right-wing, where, where, where Gantz is more towards the centre of the political yeah, spectrum. Yeah. So he's a little bit more moderate in some of his aims. He's a former general, though. Uh, so he has a military right, backing. Okay. So he, it'd be a hawk to some. some yeah, a hawk to some. Yeah. That would be an excellent way to describe him. Yeah. yeah. So he's a former general and would have a military backing, would have a military knowledge, uh, and therefore would probably invest heavily in the military and in the military tactics uh, against uh, against Gaza. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. A behind the scenes opposition figures from a dozen parties they're lobbying lawmakers from Netanyahu's party saying they would back a no confidence vote that it doesn't seem it doesn't look like they will get enough it's a bit like the vote in Helen McEntee here mm. they simply don't have the numbers to force Netanyahu out of office immediately but it is something that may come in time look it, it's a really it's it's an intriguing political situation because Netanyahu Netanyahu is in he's in the midst of a storm here he he's trying to guide his country to a through a wartime scenario he's fighting with his own domestic uh, uh, mm. partners at home his popularity is sliding it'd be very interesting yes. to see and the relationship with America is becoming very difficult because Extremely Israel broad. is just not listening I me mean, we see now they're bombing southern Gaza with the same intensity that we saw in the north yeah and, that know. has emerged last night and we see the casualty figures slowly climbing up yeah. and every time I look at them I wince because it really just it's reinforcing it's reinforcing this kind of this pattern of violence that Israel seems to have engaged in and look we're not justifying any of Hamas's actions but it has to be said the Israeli Israeli actions cannot really be helping this situation when you see the scenes of horror and destruction from Gaza is that doing anything but radicalising further yes, citizens in Gaza it's most unfortunate indeed now uh, we ask you to look at a political figure for us uh, every single week and I suppose uh, people might guess who it's going to be this week because Henry Kissinger passed away at the age of 100 last week. Um, looking into his career, 
And uh, God knows his career was a long one. What, what did you make of the man, uh, Thomas? Yeah, he's a man we could well do with now to solve this Israeli-Gaza uh, crisis. He's he's a figure like the one that would, you know, would be able to play a mediating role there. But he had a fascinating life. He really mm. did. He was born in born in Bavaria, and apparently he never quite lost the Bavarian accent, according to, mm. to anecdotes. But he went on to forge a, a remarkable career in the United States diplomatic ranks as a di- diplomat uh, serving overseas serving in var- under various mm. presidents gave counsel to various presidents from JFK all the way up to President Joe Biden so he has been there a long time and you know he, he was quite active even up until the, the the few weeks the few months before his death he would regularly he was with China in the summer he mm. made a, paid a visit to Xi Jinping of course he was well loved in China he was well loved yeah. in China for his policies there yeah. but he he's come under fierce contrast controversy as well. It's not to shy away from the controversies. His policy in respect of Cambodia and the Vietnamese war, very controversial, mm. resulted in in thousands of killings, in, in, in mass murder essentially in certain parts of the world. Mm. He was always a staunch defender of those politi- po- policies. Yes, because uh, he was so anti communism I suppose he was so, so anti communism that wasn't it yeah, yeah and that colored his his approach to diplomacy in many ways but you know you've heard figures like tony blair coming out and describing him as an artist of diplomacy kissinger was motivated by a genuine love of the free world and the need to protect it and i think that is a sincere statement i think that is true i think he really was motivated by uh, a sincere mm. love of the democratic world. I... His own his own excuse when he was confronted by the critique, Thomas, was that he was pragmatic. You know, he's, yeah, you know. and he he was a practical man, yeah. and that was in part why he was so successful, uh, because he was willing to take on these crises, take on these problems, and just try and go and solve them in a pragmatic manner. Uh, now it could be seen as ruthless, it could be seen as kind of callous and emotionless, but yes. that was just the way he decided to operate his foreign policy. Uh, and he had an influence. He has had an influence on subsequent administrations, subsequent US presidents. He's had a, a prevailing influence over over many political figures in the United States and abroad. We mentioned his relationship with China there. Uh, flew to Beijing this July to have a meeting with Xi Jinping, despite a chill in relations between the US, between the White House and Beijing. So, you know, that visit mm. irked the White House, but he wasn't afraid of it. Uh, Kissinger was was determined to get there, and uh, he wasn't going to let it go by any yes. means. So, I, I suppose it was the relationship with Nixon that was defining, know, the, defining, wasn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. it really was, and it, it was it was a relationship that you know was was rocky at times, but yeah. even so. He worked very closely with the Nixon administration and worked very closely. And I suppose it coincided with the major policy events of those times, the Vietnam crisis, the war in Cambodia and in parts of East Asia. So you had various, multiple international crises unfolding at that time. And he worked with the Nixon administration to to try and resolve them. Now, people can judge for themselves whether he was successful or not. He certainly had a huge influence over the US and its policies towards them. Uh, but uh, that as you say, I mean, what a career from you know fleeing Nazi Germany right up yeah. to to the very end, and 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 then uh, you know living to one hundred years old. Yeah, a remarkable, a really yeah. a, an outstanding character. I'd encourage people to read about him because I was reading a bit about him. There's a lot I didn't know about him. A lot of kind of small things, anecdotes. He was quite yeah. a funny man. I mentioned charisma earlier. Benny Gantz had charisma. Henry Kissinger had charisma, and I think he had a bit of. 
political charisma. He could have survived as an elected politician. I could see him having taken that path. Now, he didn't. He decided to go down the diplomatic route, which is kind of a different course. But he had that element of political charisma, that personality mm. that people kind of warmed to him. And he, would and he kinda, was very bright. Was he an academic originally? He was an was academic he? Yeah. and yeah. a Harvard-educated academic yeah. and taught yeah. in Harvard, I think, for a period of time as well. So an extremely bright individual, an extremely talented individual. And, you know, the world will, will, the world will miss him. In, in a world which is increasingly divided by bitter conflicts and dispute, we need more Henry Kissingers around. Well, be careful what you wish for. Um, uh, in, in, in terms of looking forward to the week ahead, then, what should we look out for, Thomas? Yeah, there's a number of things, really. Carlos Puigdemont, people mm. may remember him. He's the, He was the leader of the failed Catalan independence referendum. They've re- recently been brought back into relevance because they're leaning, they're giving support to PM Pedro mm. Sanchez in Spain. Now he is has, he still exiled, though? Is he? Uh, he is still oh, exiled, so, yeah. and that is part of the bargain deal, that he will get an amnesty in return uh, ah. for his support. But he has threatened to, to pull out, he has threatened, he's threatened to pull the strings on Pedro Sanchez. So Sanchez, feeling the heat there, it's a really interesting situation because the Catalan independence movement, you know, is, is highly controversial in Spain. It hasn't faded off the political agenda somewhat, and Puigdemont is still the man at the centre of it all. I mentioned I saw him talk in Trinity once before. He's an intriguing character to watch. Uh, he makes a he makes a compelling argument, even if it's one that I don't really agree with. Uh, but certainly, he is putting his pressure on Pedro Sanchez to uh, to give him as much support and to give him that amnesty, as well as that. The story of Rishi Sunak and the Tory party, they're at war over immigration. And this is quickly becoming emerging as a theme of Rishi Sunak's premiership. Uh, this this war over immigration, this war over boats to Rwanda, it's really, uh, it's really riled up people on both sides of the political divide in the UK. It remains to be seen how he will, will he be able to force his policies through? What exactly is going to happen? They were struck down by the Supreme Court yeah. uh, last month. But he seems intent on getting some form of, of policy true and deporting some... Uh, to some, Rwanda. To Rwanda, So that's yeah. still there as a possibility, That's still it? there as an open possibility. Right, OK. Even, even though the courts have decided otherwise. Even though the courts have decided otherwise. So it's a really... Yeah, it's an intriguing yeah. situation from soon after. It is because you'd wonder what precedent that would set. If yeah, they precisely, the, yeah, precisely, precisely. Uh, NATO? Finally, the next big NATO boss should come from a big defence spender. This is the the viewpoint of a Latvian hopeful. Her name is Christ, or, or Christianus Karins, his name is. And he is a potential future head of NATO. Now, we've heard a couple of names floated around for this gig. Ursula von der Leyen being one of them. Uh, there are a number of others there. I think von der Leyen is kind of the favourite. But this guy, Christianus Karins, comes from Latvia, who co- which contributes a significant amount of money to NATO uh, in contrast to other countries. You know, we're familiar with countries not spending their allocation on, on NATO membership, on, on military hardware and such. Latvia is a country which actually does, and I suppose that's half because it's a Baltic state. It's on kind of a front line against Russia there, so it is very cognizant and very alert to its security matters. But this guy, Christianus Karins, he could be a future head of NATO. He could replace Jens Stoltenberg as leader, so he's one to watch. Be interesting. Von der Leyen is not damaged, is she? Um, for for that role, by what she said about Israel, you know. Yeah, it, it would have. Service. It certainly, it certainly has tainted her reputation yeah. somewhat. I think she, like to be honest, I think she's played a stormer right up until that point. Uh, it was a bad error of judgment, though, just bad because the optics of it mm. looked extremely poor for for mm. the general population and her. 
her, her reputation is certainly tainted by it. It will probably hurt her prospects of getting the job. She could, of course, stand for another term, though, uh, as European Commission president. So that is open to her as well. So we just don't know yet. She's a hard worker. She clearly likes her role, but she's not immune to making mistakes, as as that whole saga illustrated. All right. Thomas, always good to see you. Thanks very Pleasure, much. Fran. Thank Indeed. you. Thomas Conway with us, as usual, on a Monday, having a look at all things global. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. UK fears of empty shelves drives demand for Irish beef. For more in your Farmer's Journal, here's Paul Mooney. Beef orders surge from Britain. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. One of us is saying, good morning all. If the guards don't patrol the streets of Nina, it will be out of hand because even during the day, one can be intimidated. My son, who is 40 years old, he always walked home at night, but now he won't due to gurriers hanging around. And if you just look at them, it's an excuse for a row and that's Siobhan who is in Nina uh, today um, Henry Henry Kissinger was a grand lad is that the message today? Well you see if you were listening to the full conversation now was, the conversation was far more balanced uh, than that um, ok some of our listeners on to tell us that uh, the money being made by providers of accommodation to asylum seekers is obscene and people are nervous of any vacant building in their area in case it's turned into an asylum centre and the knock-on effect in services, etc. Uh, strangely enough, these centres are rarely in what I call the leafy suburbs and Sinn Féin doesn't reflect the thoughts of many of the voters that they're trying to attract, says John on 083-311-3311. Now, we're with you, of course, every single weekday from 9 o'clock. We spoke to Dave on the show this morning and uh, he told us about the lack of policing particularly in Dublin where he says that there's an open drug uh, use that was not allowed to happen in the past. Here's a little of what he had to say. So when I was younger uh, you'd have people doing drugs but they'd be doing down an alleyway. Nowadays it's done openly out in the streets. They're openly dealing drugs, taking drugs, there's graffiti all over the place, the streets are filthy dirty. Um, you little scumbags walk around in their Canada Goose jackets basically causing hassle left, right and centre and there's near a guard to be seen. You know, like Dublin was on a downward spiral anyway. I think this was just the final nail in the coffin for it. And is it down to policing, Dave, as far as you're concerned? Okay, well, of course it is. I mean, like, if you think about a, a, a perfect example. Um, we were we were in Dublin there summer, not last, no, not summer gone, summer before. Myself, the brother and the young film. We were walking up along the street. I know, you know, like it was on one side of the street where they, you know, they have those beautiful old Georgian buildings yes. who are walking down towards uh, Houston Station and, um, a uh, young lad tapped me in the arm and goes, Dad, what are they doing? And I looked across the road and then up on top of the steps there's people smoking crack. Down the bottom of the steps there's people dealing crack. And I was like, congratulations, son. You just saw your first crackhead. Okay. Now, when I was younger, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened because the guards would have been on top of them in minutes. You know, and like, we walked, like, we parked up in the Phoenix Park. We walked into town. We, we basically did a big loop of the city while we were there. And the only time I saw a guard was outside Collins Barracks Museum because there was an event on. You know, walking... I think O'Connell Street itself is just... It's it's dilapidated looking. Like, it's, a, it's like the main street in the country, we'll say, right? And all it's full of is just takeaways and bookies mm. and junkies. 
and that's it. Like we we stayed in aggression there two years ago. We went to a gig uh, with a few friends of ours, and we stayed in aggression. Now, once upon a time, people like me wouldn't even step foot inside aggression. Really, really you know posh. What I mean? Really posh yeah. years ago. Yeah, you know, and we yeah. got we got a room between four of us for like 150 euros. And is that because of where it is on O'Connell Street there? I I wouldn't be surprised. And that's Dave who spoke to me in uh, the nine o'clock hour this morning. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Celebrate the music of the great Joe Dolan, one of our greatest uh, singers. The Dolan family have announced a nationwide tour in 2024, remembering Joe Dolan, the annual Joe Dolan uh, festival. And you can imagine you'll be singing and dancing along to all those wonderful. Uh, hits. Uh, the tour will make its way to the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel on January the 26th. And to talk to me, I'm delighted to be joined by Joe's brother, uh, Ben, who shared the stage with Joe for all of those years. Ben, good morning to you. Good morning and from really, Mullingar. And, and good morning from Tipperary to Mullingar indeed. And um, isn't it absolutely amazing that Joe's memory is still alive, we're still singing the songs and we still want to go along and pay homage to him, Ben. Well, it, it is fantastic, all right. Like, I mean, when I look, at, it's nearly 16 years now, you know, coming up at Christmas time. <clears throat> this time of the year is all yeah. kind of dodgy for the Dolan family. Of a, few of us, a few of us passed away around this time, you know what I mean? So I'm not going to bed myself at all. Are <laughs> you not? <laughs> <laughs> You'll stay up just just in case. And what about hearing that, that? There's a whole new generation, because I've been at a few of the shows, Ben, a whole new yeah. generation singing Joe's songs now. Three, yeah. Well, I suppose some of the songs, they're nearly like an anthem now, you know, yeah. especially we say that's Goodbye Venice. Like, everybody seems to know that. Like, it's nearly, it's nearly like Here We Go Again, you know. But... Uh, yeah, we're down down in in uh, in uh, we're in what a girl in, in the, the Talbot Army. Hotel, yes. In the Talbot Hotel, yeah. Yeah. That's on what the twentieth. It? It's the twenty sixth, yeah. in fact, of uh, oh, of January. Yeah, tickets are yeah, available there from from the hotel. But you're no strangers to Tipperary. God knows, I saw you in the Golden Vale so many times over the years, Ben. Oh, many at the time, many at the times. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know, ah, no, but the show, the show we have is all the Dolan family. I mean, we have I have two sons, Ray and Adrian, and they are they have played in the band with Joe for years. Yeah, the two of those, and then my daughter as well, you know. And then we have another girl singer with us. So we have loads of we have loads of singers, and then we have the band. Yeah, you know, and the, the most of the members are the, are the members that played with Joe in the band. You know, so it's a I don't know. I mean, I love doing it myself. Now I know I know uh, I'm a bit I'm a bit too old to retire, you know, because <laughs> most most people that retire get another little job, you know, but I think, I think I missed me, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> is it yeah. a bit bittersweet for you, though, Ben? Because, I mean, I'm sure at times you turn around and say, where is he, you know? Well, I mean, it, 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 you nearly feel this, yeah. that, that he's there. At, at, I don't know, like, I mean, but I mean, we're, well, I'm probably well used to it now. You know, but at the beginning, uh, it was very, felt very strange. Yeah. You know, because, well, we were together, we were together, of course, in the band since the 60s. Yeah. You know, so it was all, all those years, and we're all over the world then as well as that. Of course, I, at the risk of offending some of our listeners, I'd have to say, as far as I'm concerned anyway, he was the greatest singer and entertainer that emerged from that whole wave of, of, of show bands. But that remarkable charisma as well, was that there right from the start, Ben? 
Well, it was it was there from the start. But I mean, when I when I think of it, sometimes a fellow said to me one time, he says, you know, America got Elvis Presley, and England got. Yes, uh, where am I going? Mm. Me, 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 excuse me. And Ireland got Joe Dolan. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I, he, I mean, he he recorded so many original songs. Like that's really what stands to him now. You know, now you know he did loads of cover versions as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And that, but but he always was. Uh, he was always kind of interested in in original songs. You know that he got. He didn't. He didn't write them himself. Now there's no good to say he did. Mm. But he, uh, he 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 loved when a fella say I have a song and he talked to him and sing it a bit. And Tommy Swarbrick was yeah. in the band early on, and he was he was writing songs and Joe recorded. Joe recorded some very good, you know. I mean, you could, one song that Tommy wrote that Joe recorded that I can remember really well was it was called "I Know It's Over." Yes, you know, yeah, was the song. Which Tommy, yeah. Tommy was a great song, but he was part of the brass section in the band at that point, wasn't he? He was. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. Tommy was with us for. Yeah. I don't know, four or five or seven, six years. But I was know. reading, I mean, I always knew about the international success as well, Ben, but funny enough, it all came back to me. I was reading Frankie Frankie McDonald's book, who, of course, was the, the trumpet player for all those years as well. And, I mean, at, I, he could have been an even bigger star worldwide, except you were all very fond of home. Well, I mean, he he didn't, like, he, he was, the record company asked him to go to London one time, you know. Yeah. But he says, what am I going to do in London? He says, I live in Dublin. I mean, London's only an hour away from me. If I was in Manchester, he says, I'd still be an hour from London. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, so yeah. he says, he says, no, but I'll do whatever I have to do. Now, he did travel around and uh, push on the records and that type of thing. Yeah. But he wasn't, uh, like, he liked he liked show business, but he wasn't, he wasn't carried away. He loved singing. Yes. I loved doing the shows. But he wasn't carried away with a fella saying, "Well, it's good you, it's good you were seen at the All Ireland in Dublin. It's good you were seen at the tennis in London." You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He he went to the, he did the job, but he he wasn't well, no, the, the he trappings did. of it. Yeah, yeah. I know what he you mean. He did the job, and he wanted to play his game of golf. And yeah. you know, all his friends were in Ireland anyway. You know, like, yeah. He he had a fantastic circle of friends, actually, didn't he? He did. Yeah, yeah. he did all, all yeah. over the country. Like you know, I mean, there were real. Real friends, you know. Like I mean, it wasn't just because you you sang the song, but I mean he had well most of most of his friends were around Dublin. Even though Monagar, he he said it was too hard living in Monagar because you never went to bed, you know, because there was always somebody that would stay along with you up all night in Monagar. <laughs> At least he says in Dublin people go home. <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. You must have some fantastic memories of all those. Do you know, lately I tried to explain to a younger person just about the phenomenon that was the show band thing. Do you find that that people can't get their heads around it if they're 20-something? No, but you see, that that same thing really happened all over the world. We say after the war, America. I mean, the, that dancing craze, we'd say, was in America yeah. after that. And after about 10 years, it died down in America and it came to England. And, I mean, the dancing in England was the very same as, we'll say, the dancing. Yeah. We used to pit, we we used to go to do it, but it was the end of it in England, really, when we started in the 60s. Yes. So, I mean, it was the 40s in America, you know, the 50s in, in England, and it was the 60s in Ireland. 
you know, so we were 10 years just behind them. You know, yeah, 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 of did, course. Like, if you look at the, the, the history of of the music or the dancing. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Good. I never thought about it like that, Ben. And you're, you, yeah. you're right, well, the whole... Make, yeah, yeah. And it did begin to wane a bit. I mean, the dancing in the 70s yeah. in Ireland, you know, because, well, I mean, there was loads, loads of bands around, but there was loads of bands going out of out of business as well. You know, it was... Yeah, does it, and gone tomorrow. does it amuse you that nowadays if any of us have like two or three hundred people were crowing about it and saying we had a big crowd because <laughs> I mean you know you would have had a bad night if you had fifteen or sixteen hundred people oh you would of course oh well you'd say it was you'd say it was a bad just it was a bad night Look, <laughs> looking back but as well as that I mean when you look back the, the dancers were a half a crown and then there were five shillings yeah. I mean, it was a good while before they got to ten shillings, yeah. and that was only that was only uh, like like uh, a half a half a euro. It's amazing, <laughs> you know? isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, because the money. Well, of course, at the time, everything was was relevant, you know. Yeah. Did you really yeah. say to the priest? Up in, did you really say to the priest up and knock? No point in both of us having a bad night, Father. Or is that an urban myth? Well, I always, I always found when you were collecting the money that time, you know, you you didn't you didn't want to let on you were serious, you know. Yes. I mean, the big job was to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, everybody everybody had a reason after the show. But you know, when you think of it in Ireland, nobody there was no contracts. Yeah. And yeah. there was no. I mean, a fellow rang up and said, "Would you play a music there?" And you went down and done the job. And after it, you didn't even know the fella, and you have nearly have to ask it, who looks after the money? And some fella tell you, and you go down and meet a fella. Like, I mean, it was never done in any place in the world. Everywhere was a contract, <laughs> and you never went on stage until you, until the promoter got the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was it was all trust in Ireland all the way through, you know. And I mean, strange, when you look back on it, I mean, there was... I mean, everybody wanted a bargain. It's nearly like today, mm. you mm. know. But I mean, everyone kind of wanted a a chat, a, a few bob back, you know. But in general, that time, if you give a fellow back, give a fellow back a pound, it was a look penny. And the majority of people you were dealing with were, well, they were farmers or people in business and that type of thing. It, the fellas would be giving you the money in the hall, you know. But like, I mean, it was kind of a look penny. I suppose, I was, suppose, was, yeah. was all the go at that time. You got a look, Penny. You There's know? an old colleague of mine. He used to collect the money for the band. He used to call it the agony in the garden. When you, yeah. <laughs> when you go down, which, which kind yeah. of sums it up very well, in, in, indeed. I, I was sorry to hear as well. Poor old Penny Cole isn't too well, which which is a shame. So I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Poor I believe. Penny, oh, yeah. Judge Paddy was a grand fella. Ah, so look, look. Ah, he was a salty. Really, yeah, yeah, really, really good, good man. Yeah, Paddy was. Did you all get well, on? I mean, I did you all get Paddy on pretty was. well? Yeah, did, did you all get on very well in the show? But particularly the bigger names. Did you all get on easily together? Well, you know, kind of, kind of when we started in the sixties, you would nearly know every fellow that played in the band. Yeah. each band would know them. And then, I mean, there was different things happened. Like the bands got were getting funny with one another and that type of thing. And they used to throw eggs. So, I mean, if there was a band would pull up on the road, and if you were coming along, they'd know you were coming along. Yeah. <laughs> I used to throw eggs at the at the band. 
<laughs> oh, brilliant. You know, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, but anyway, like one night, one night we were, we were coming home and I don't know, whatever it was, maybe Paddy Cole was in the band or something yeah. at the time. We pulled up for some of the boys to go to the loo and uh, they, they pulled up behind us and they thought we were broken down, you know. They said, yeah. anything, anything wrong, lad, you know. No, we says, the boys are the boys are going out to look for mushrooms. Just kind of cotton, you know. Paddy Coler's up with the boys says, lad, come on. They're all on drugs, them gang. Come on, get back into the wagon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, brilliant memories altogether. Well, we all look forward to seeing you in, in uh, Tipperary, Ben. It's the 26th of January. It's at the Talbot Hotel. And you can get tickets from Ticketmaster.ie or at the hotel reception. But I know, of course, the tour is going all around the country, so there will be other options there for people as well, Ben. Of course. Yeah. Well, well, thanks a million, anyway. Uh, great, great to talk to you. And happy Christmas to you and the family, Ben. Thanks very Thank much. You. And, and the same to you. Happy Thank Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That is the uh, legendary Ben Dolan speaking about his legendary brother, the great Joe Dolan. the memories flooding back those wonderful nights in uh, the Golden Vale in Dundrum and I can't help but uh, remember my wonderful friend uh, the late uh, Ossie Crow today as well because he was a very very uh, good personal friend of Joe's over the years indeed. Alright, our vouchers uh, to uh, celebrate the fact that uh, Christmas shopping in Thurles is going to be just brilliant this year and our um, vouchers going to Nancy Dorney from Collins Park in Thurles and Eileen Armstrong who is in uh, Drumban as well so well done to you both and we'll have more um, uh, vouchers to give away on the show tomorrow in fact alright uh, we'll take a break and we're back with more in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie A listener says, my uh, American husband has Irish citizenship through our marriage, but uh, in his documents it states that his citizenship um, can be revoked at any time if uh, the law is broken. Yeah. Um, somebody else saying the liberal left are either naive or just blind to what's happening in Ireland. Inner city Dublin's antisocial issues are there for many years. The violence on Thursday night had nothing to do with inner city problems. The violence is solely caused 
uh, by mass immigration and open border politics, uh, says Joe, who's in uh, Thurles uh, today. Um, somebody is saying there's nothing the Gardaí can do. The prisons are full. Any new laws or legislation will have no effect. The solution is build more prisons and deport non-nationals that break the law. 083 now, on a much lighter note, a woman on social media has revealed that she's planning to charge relatives £150. That's about, what is that, about €170, Euro, I suppose, uh, a pop to enjoy her Christmas dinner. Her name is Carla Bellucci, and she says that she absolutely loves the festive period, but the cost of living crisis is wreaking havoc, havoc even, on her, uh, meaning that she should be compensated for the time and expense of preparing a meal for family and friends. To those who criticised her approach and called her a scrooge, she replied, get stuffed with all the trimming. So we've been putting it out there to our listeners uh, about this one, and Geraldine joins me now. Geraldine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Geraldine. Lovely to talk to you. What do you make of that Carla saying that, you know, oh. well, things are tight, so she wants money from her relatives? What do you okay. make of that? Okay. Oh, my goodness. No, no. Yeah. No, no. Definitely not. Um, maybe ask them. To, I mean, that's an awful lot of money. I'm sure you could go to a hotel and stay overnight for that and have your dinner. Or you could go out to a nice restaurant. Um, family is family. Uh, if she feels that the cost of living is costing her a lot to provide this, don't do it. Mm. Or ask, you know, a member, each member, maybe one do dessert and one do some part of the meat course or veg course or bring some wine or champagne or whatever they're going to have. I saw she was adding a glass of champagne with that. I think it's dreadful. I, I'd want a bottle for 170 I'm euros. telling you, yes. <laughs> and you get a good bottle of champs for that. Yeah. I, I, like, I'm not sure. I mean, if she... I'm I'm gathering from the piece that she would have done Christmas dinner for previous years. Now, but to introduce this then all of a sudden, I'd, I'd say many people might say, well, thanks, but no thanks, Carla. Yeah, well, I would say that. I, I think she's trying to pay her January mortgage doubles or something. <laughs> and maybe she should ask them to bring their own toilet paper and hand towels as well. Maybe, maybe so. That that yeah, that might be the thing. I mean, really, yeah. and especially family. You know, I mean, if if she was opening it as in a sort of restaurant restaurant venue and doing an exclusive dinner and whatever, yeah, maybe, but not that price. But for family, you don't do that to family. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, what about yourself, Geraldine? Are, are you the cook? Uh, I'm not the cook this year. I'm going to my daughter and son-in-law. Um, if I was the cook and if I had room, I'd have the whole family. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't. And I would be annoyed if they started um, even offering me anything because to me. Family is very important. And, yeah, I'm going to my daughter, and, of course, I'll bring a gift of some mm. shape or form that may edible or something to drink or whatever. But, uh, my goodness, my goodness, that is just... It's actually the best I've ever heard. <laughs> Isn't it just... She's definitely yeah. trying to get rich. I mean, imagine if she has 20 people, what she'll, what she'll earn, actually. It's like, so that's a month, um, you could say, a month's wages. Yeah, the, the only fear there is, I mean, you know, if she's charging that kind of money, people would hold her up to extremely high standards, would they not, you know? Yes, you would want a five-star. 
wouldn't you? And she better have her silver cutlery well polished. <laughs> Are you a Christmas <laughs> person like myself, Geraldine? Do you, do you enjoy loved, it? Yeah. I actually, I loved Christmas when the children were small. Then I lost my mum at Christmas oh. and it kind of put a damper on it. It's coming up to six years now and I'm kind of getting back into the spirit of it. Yeah, I love Christmas. Right. Sure, I'm like a child. I drive around at night looking at lights. Do you? <laughs> I think that's lovely, absolutely though. Absolutely yeah, lovely, yeah. love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. It's, it's, I don't know, I suppose in the middle of kind of the winter, you know, doom and gloom and know, darkness yeah. and dampness and cold, you have this wonderful brightness and spirit. And she look, it's fabulous, the children. And what happened, Geraldine? Baby? You, you, your mum passed away, you say, and what, what then? It's sort of... You know, it, it sort of it did, yeah. yeah. It, it, I associate now. My oh, mum yeah. was nearly ninety-four, yeah. and I had it's her. No matter, she's still your mum. Yes, you know? this yeah. is it. She passed away here at home with me. Oh, did she? But it just kind of—I didn't know where I was that Christmas. Then we started to go away at Christmas. Yes, and we went to different countries and different. But you know what? It's not the same. Yeah, I was going it's to ask you that like, because it's something I've never done. Would you recommend? Going yeah, away from I loved. Yes, I loved it the first year. We went to Malta the first... No, we went to Spain the first year. And it was lovely. But it wasn't the same. Mm. You had your trees and lights, but you didn't have that big fat turkey and ham yeah. and all of that, you know, and the crack around the family table. It wasn't the same. Then we went to Malta and it was amazing because they celebrated it on the Christmas Eve and there was a lot of... Um, German and Eastern European, and then we had that. Then we had our own Christmas Day the next day. So it was amazing. It's interesting. And then we got, then COVID arrived, and that was the end of that. Then I went to my family in London um, the last year, and that was fabulous. So this year, I'm just going over the road to my daughter, and I know it'll be fabulous. And she certainly won't be at the door with the, a box looking for 170 <laughs> euros. <laughs> or if she is, you'll turn on your heel, as they say, Geraldine. There you go. I go home and cook a few rashers. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you. And a happy and happy too, Christmas Frank. to you, Geraldine. And Thanks so much. And many happy returns. And have a lovely one. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye now. You. now. Siobhan is with me as well. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Morning, so what do, you, what do you make of this? Uh, 170 euro or so. Um, what, what, what do you think, Siobhan? Uh, I'd like, I mean, as the previous caller said there, it is preposterous. Like, mm. um, whatever about somebody cooking, a, bringing the trifle or somebody bringing something and that kind of thing, fine, that, that'd be no issue. But I mean, I've hosted dinner for 10, 12 people. Have you? Wow. For Christmas. Wow. And... It wouldn't. It doesn't like it wouldn't cost you three hundred euro the whole thing. Um, you'd buy enough meat in the butchers for one hundred and fifty. You'd buy veg for fifty. And hmm. um, it w- it doesn't cost that kind of that kind of money or anything close to it. One glass of champagne she's offering them for one hundred and seventy euro. Yeah, like, it must be <laughs> remarkable champagne. She's she's. <laughs> it's definitely Bollinger or something good, but like um, no. I, I would just say refuse that invitation completely. Like, I yeah. mean, you could bring in a private... There's so many hotels and restaurants after closing and stuff like that. You could bring in a private chef and have but, but, but your dinner me, for a lot less. Sean, what is it like to cater for 10 or 12 people? That must be a nightmare, is it? It's not. My husband is really good and 
yeah. we'd kind of jolly along together. Now, there was one year, all right, we were kind of sitting waiting for this little pin to pop out of the turkey and to say it was cooked. And we were, myself and my sister were looking in and we were like, this doesn't pop soon. <laughs> We'll be on the trifle before we get to dinner. But <laughs> when you work out your timings and stuff like that, yeah. it's not a big deal. Give them a starter. It's a kind of, doesn't necessarily follow with the dinner. Like if you can have soup at two o'clock and you can have your dinner at half three and that kind of thing. A very relaxed kind of, of atmosphere. Yeah. Um, it's about getting your timings right and stuff like that. But I mean, even going back, I was saying to your researcher about four or five years ago, mm. we were with friends in Cape Town. And we had the most fabulous catered dinner where the guys brought in the wines to go with the food and the whole lot. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day between the two, they catered for the two evenings. And it was less than 400 euro. My God. For the whole lot of us. They'd done the clean up, they'd done everything. Now, I know it's a different country, you mightn't get that here, but you definitely wouldn't be paying 170 euro a head for one dinner. Sure, of course not. And and that was Christmas time in South Africa, was it? That was Christmas in South Africa, yes. And was like, it was it all the trimmings? Was it sort of similar to here, or it was very similar to here? That we did have springbok instead of turkey. What? what forgive um, my ignorance. What is that? It's it's almost like kangaroo meat. What was it? Wow. The South African springbok looks to me like a kangaroo, but. Um, Kind of a steaky feel to it. It was lovely. They had some of their local dishes, babuti, stuff like that, which would be very similar to a lasagna Mm. on Christmas Eve. Um, And as I said, they brought the wines to match everything. Anything that was left over was left there. It was fabulous. Now, it would be uh, something to recommend. But, um, yeah, for a few years, as as your other caller was saying there, we did go away for Christmas. But... Um, the last couple of years we stayed around now for the first year this year my sister is cooking and I said to her like do you want me to pay for the meat or do you want me to and she's mm. like no the only thing I want you to do is clean up with me well there you go you see it's it's not the done thing that you would pay even towards if you're invited to a Christmas meal you'd imagine yeah you'd um, either bring a bottle yeah, you'd bring something of course something. you would of course but you if would. the lady even said like I'd like you to make a donation to a loan or to some of the, the homeless crowds or something like that, you'd put an envelope in, but to mm. be asked specifically for €170 Euros, sounds very, very calculated. And um, mm. imagine if you had four, like if you had yourself, your wife and two children. You'd be in... Be a lot, a lot, a lot yeah, you, you now, could eat in a re- high-class restaurant. Her name that. is Carla Bellucci, so I'm presuming that there's Italian descent Italian. there or something. And, and Italians are, are famous for family get-togethers and love of family, family yeah. and extended family. Family and food yeah. and walk-in and there's plenty yeah. for everyone. That would be my yeah. take on an Italian family. That sounds just a little bit mercenary now for me. Just a little bit. Are you a Christmas <laughs> person, Siobhan? Do you love it? Um... I we had a tough year this year personally, so it'll be a hard Christmas this oh, year. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And um did you, in lose, general, did you lose somebody, Siobhan? Yes, we lost my brother in oh May and oh. then we lost my dad's partner of seventeen years oh last week. God. Oh, I'm sorry so, to hear it. Siobhan. And we say mum had died about twenty years ago, so um we did kind of slot in well after Mum died, we just kind of our aunts looked after us because we were quite young and she always took over Christmas and now that she's getting a little bit older we look after her as such Mm. 
But um, yeah, it's this year will be different. There'll be a lot of pl- people not around the table, but we have our little niece Jessica, who's a uh, ball of fun. Lovely at three yeah. years of age. Oh, so yeah. her and Santi will um, will engage us all. Of course, and bring bring some joy and happiness. It to, brings to the, the magic of Christmas of when you have a child with Santi. Of course, it yeah. does. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Christmas is a difficult time for for a lot of people, particularly like yourself, Siobhan, If you suffer loss, you know it's it's poignant, isn't it? It's uh, it is. It's the yeah. time where you kind of really feel that person should be there or you're missing or I even found this year Christmas shopping for my other brother and I was like, should we get that for Barry? But yeah. it's um yeah, it's different. But he has two boys as well, so we have to we'll be catering for them as well. Of course, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been... It's the time of year we need to think about other people, even an older person living locally or something like that, to drop in a tin of biscuits or Something just to let you know, let them know that it's it's nice to give something back. I really think at Christmas. Oh, sure, of course it is indeed. Yeah, I've been whinging about the fact that my son has gone to Australia and it's our first Christmas without him. You know, it'll so be, yeah, it will be a different house, a, a, a difficult one. No, no, nowhere on par to to what you've gone through. God knows, but you know what I mean. We're, we'll be feeling yeah, sorry nice for ourselves. Up, it'll be feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, it'd be nice to do that Zoom call on Christmas. Oh, as well. absolutely for sure. Yeah, we'll try. I, I'll try to to uh, be strong and not be sort of whinging and. and crying. His mommy will probably do that for you. Ah, sure, I know. Lovely <laughs> to talk to you, Siobhan. I wish you well. If then. we don't talk to you before Christmas, have a good All one, right. You Take too, care. Siobhan. Thanks very Bye-bye. much indeed. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Janelle. That's Siobhan. 1800 The text and WhatsApp 083 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com Mary was on site looking forward to, to going to the Joe show in UL in February. Never lets us down. Great show always and a great family to keep Joe's memory alive. Well, that's uh, for sure. And they do it in great style. I've seen some of those shows. In fact, we were part of uh, one of the uh, shows down in Ennis, I think, some years ago. And it was absolutely uh, marvellous altogether. All right, let's continue on with that notion of charging people if they're coming to your home for Christmas dinner. James is with me. Good morning to you, James. Morning, Fran. How are you? You read this article as well, James. Oh, I did. Absolutely. I had to actually check first and see was it in April, <laughs> April 1st. You know? Yeah. What do oh, you make of it? Oh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's totally against the, the um, spirit of Christmas and all that, you know. And I think they, I think she's saying she's expecting about nine people. Yeah. yeah. I think those nine people, they're, they're worth to even consider going. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to do the math on it. She, she'd be making a bit of profit there, to say the very least. Yeah, I would imagine that, if they go along. But who's going to pay 170 euro? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you get into some place like carriages in, in England for all the same price. You know what I mean? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely a, it's, crazy. It's a, and and particularly if she's been catering for people for years, and I'm kind of reading between the lines on that. And then all of a sudden she's saying, "Oh, whoops! If you want to come this year, you gotta you gotta fork out." You know, you'd want a bit of a brass neck to to put that you out there. Wouldn't you would. You yeah. certainly would. Um, maybe she's uh, something just hit me. Maybe she's looking for publicity or something. You know that? Um, yeah. I mean, this has gone viral. Maybe so, you never know. Did you read through the article? I mean, what's her background? Do we know anything very much about her? 
Uh, it, it didn't say much about her background. Mm. Uh, it, it just seemed to be focusing on, on this thing that she's, you know, she, she's um, she's all for making profits and all this. And she must, she must but, be uh, one hell of a cook. Like, I mean, if she has <laughs> that kind of confidence. She must be. And and <laughs> I thought it was so funny when she said she'd give, um, she'd give a glass of, of uh, champagne. <laughs> And if anyone wants any more drink, they have to bring it. They have to bring your own drink as well. Like, <laughs> well, it's it's fair cheeky, as they say around Tipperary. Oh, fair, fair yeah. cheeky is right. Absolutely. Are you are you a Christmas type, James? Um, unfortunately, fan. Uh, Christmas is very hard for a lot of people, and unfortunately, I'm one of those. Yeah. Um, sixth of December, three years ago, my my um, wife went into hospital for the last time and passed away just after. Christmas in 2021. Oh, God almighty. And I I can't get Christmas I, I want to, but I can't. I mean, we, we'll put a Christmas tree up, all right? Um, like, we used to do the, the, go the whole hog before. Every room in the, the house and outdoor, everything used to be done, but it's, 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 it's still, I suppose, fairly raw. Yeah, of course it is indeed. And and you you did enjoy Christmas, and you, you it, it was important to you, obviously. Oh, yeah, as I said, breathing got be good for her. She was huge into Christmas. Yes, absolutely. As I say, every square inch of the house used to be decorated. Yeah. Um, my my loft is full. <laughs> my attic is full of boxes and boxes of decorations, which which unfortunately won't be coming down. Um, yeah. I've we, we've one daughter. She's twenty six, and she's she's even finding it hard to, to get into it. You know, but um. Yeah. yeah, it can be hard for it can be hard for for some people. Uh, yeah, I was making that point to Siobhan that <clears throat> it's a particularly yeah. poignant time of the year, and if you did lose somebody as you did, James, it yeah, makes it all yeah, the more I mean, difficult. Yeah, yeah. Our, our last Christmas together was uh, around Breda's hospital bed. You know, I mean, we um, we bought all the Christmas presents, had them all wrapped up, and brought them down for her so she could open them up and everything. So we, we have that that memory, right? You know, but. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can be hard. What is that like, James? I mean, here you have a situation where you know a loved one is going to pass away, and and there's all the jollity of Christmas going around. Is that is that very difficult? It, it, it is. It is. Um, now, what what we'll do for Christmas? We go into my mother-in-law. She's she's eighty-nine years of age, and there'll probably be about ten of us in there. And uh, we we'll all give a hand, you know, getting the getting the prep done and all that, you know. And yeah. we wouldn't have it any other way. We always did. We always went, went to mother-in-law for. So we we, we um we've continued that already. Twenty twenty one. So that would have been during COVID as well, I guess. Oh God, yeah, yeah. As I say, my my wife Rita, she went in on the sixth of December, and um, I couldn't see her until the twenty second. Um, physically because. COVID restrictions were, were so so um, strict. Well enforced at that stage, yeah. very very strict, and we were just allowed in on on uh, compassionate grounds at that stage. And did you know she was very unwell right from when she went into oh, hospital, James? Oh God, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. My God, and you yeah, couldn't yeah. see you couldn't see her. I I couldn't physically see her until the twenty second. Um, I, I used to. I, I live in Dungarvan, and. Um, Peter's in New HW in Watford. So I, I used to drive up down every day and, you know, with a change of clothes and towels and all that kind of stuff. There was a drop, drop-off drop point inside the door. Somebody had to, had to take it off you. And um, 
go back out to the car, phone, and we'd have a little chat. That was that was our routine. My God! And uh, how did she deal with it? How did Breda deal with it herself, James? Uh, unfortunately, Breda had had um, it was uh, cancer that Breda had, you know. So, yeah. um, it was metastatic. So yes. things things are fairly fairly hard, fairly difficult, and um, like we never discussed death or anything like that. You know, we we kept things as normal as we could. Yes. Yeah. And uh but uh yeah it's it's But you you kept hard, you hard kept to... you kept hope there all the time or she kept Oh hoping. almost there was always hope and always hope it but then eventually you can just see you know bit by bit Um I remember my my, my own mother lost her mother on the 20th of December as well and that that was very hard Um my mother was a tourless woman yes. she was from born and Yeah So I'm from a family of 12, so, she, you know, she had young children, so she just had to put on the brave face, you know, but you could see it every year. That that it was difficult you know, on her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Christmas week, obviously, you know, must have been. But, um, yeah, and, and it's your mother-in-law then that you're going to the this year, James? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, as I said, we've, we went there since since um, the first year we got married, so we just kept it up, like you know. So that's where you'll go, yeah. And yeah, and, that's, uh, and will you toast her on the day? Will you remember her in you know, oh, in your I, conversations and in your? Oh, we we talk, we talk about Rita every day. Do you? Yeah. Every single day, yeah. And uh, as I say, you know, unfortunately, it was Rita died of cancer, but I've I've since become a volunteer with the Irish Cancer Society, and. You know, that, 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 that does help. I'm sure it does, but uh, I, and I admire people like you who can do that, but does it not bring it back to you then when you're dealing with people who are have the challenge of cancer, James, or does it give you solace in some way? Uh, it gives you solace because, I mean, you're fully trained up, you know, you, you don't, you, you know, you don't bring up your own situation, you know, yeah. if somebody comes into you and they say, oh, I'm, I'm, I've got breast cancer, whatever, and you don't say, oh, listen, my wife went through that and this is how we dealt with Because suddenly it's all thrown back on you and, on oh, how did you deal with So you, you, learn, you, you learn how to listen and how to um, yes. empathise. That's, that's that's the big big thing, you know. And does that help you in some way, James? It, it does, it does. does it, yeah. I, I would do anything for the Irish Cancer Society, definitely. Yeah. Do anything for them. Well, James, it was lovely to talk to you today, and it was lovely to remember Breda as well. And, and oh, yeah, as I say, we, we I always remember Breda. Yeah. Every every single minute of the day, every day, um, you you learn to live with it. Yeah. You know, the, the pain is always going to be there, but you, you learn to live with it. Mm. I can I can hear the pain in your voice, James. Uh, um, you look after yourself, James, and my, my best I, to you and your family. And thank you for talking to me, James. Not at all, friend. Thank not you. at all. And and um, um, special wishes to all the tip tip of him and to all my relatives there in Thurles and Holy Cross. Just right. uh, say hello to them all there. All right, look after yourself, James. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Not at all, friend. God bless. Thank Take you. care. Bye bye. You know, that's James uh, speaking to us. Let's go to uh, to Sue. Good morning to you, Sue. Morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Your, your sister passed away in, in August, I think, Sue, was it? Yes, yeah, suddenly, um, oh, three Lord. weeks after her 61st birthday. Very shocking. Um, still traumatised. You know, it's, it's it's not. I'm not the first, I won't be the last. So, yeah. 
Yeah, but again, coming up to Christmas is one of it's one of those milestones, is it not, Sue? Well, it's, well, it's the first milestone. I, you know, I think the first and second years are the hardest. Yes. Annette's um, favourite time of year was Christmas. My children live, uh, my son lives in Australia. My daughter lives in Abu Dhabi. I have a, lo- a son that lives local. I'm grateful for that because my yes. grandson's here as well. My other grandchildren live in um, Abu Dhabi. But they've all decided to come home for Christmas to help me oh, through the season. Fantastic. Absolutely um, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and they're all doing the Holy Cross swim in memory of my sister. Oh, is that Obviously, lovely? they're doing it for the um, the, the local soccer team. But um, my sister loved it, loved St. Stephen's Day, going down to the river, yes. watching it all, having a hot toddy afterwards. And so, but yeah, there's five of them that are doing the swim this year. So I'm I'm very, very grateful to them. That's, that's going grateful. to make it very special, I suppose, in its own way. So I think the whole, my family being together, my kids and my grandchildren all being under the one roof, for the first time in 14 years, is extra special to me um, because they live abroad. It's hard to get everybody course, together. Yes. One's a teacher, another one works for the police force in um, Australia. So to get them all together with their partners and their husbands and wives and whatever and just have a family gathering, it's going to be magical. And we most certainly will toast because our favourite drink was champagne. So <laughs> I love it. We will definitely toast. I love uh, it. Isn't that a lovely idea? And, you know, the fact that they're all coming home to support you, Sue, is... Um, you know. Yeah, they've always supported me. I'm very, very grateful. My husband's a great supporter as well. And you know the people in Holy Cross? Yeah. When my sister died, because she only lived here for two and a half years, friend. she moved over from California. Right. The outpouring for her was second to none. The support we got, the Witch Way Inn or Gormans, my local neighbours, yeah. it was just Hugh Ryan's. They, just, they didn't know Annette that well, although she worked at the Witch Way Inn, so she met a lot of people there. But she had an effect on people. She, You'd never see her sad. She'd always have a laugh. She'd always have a song. She'd always have a story. And that's what we're going to remember Christmas Day. I'm not going to go over the sad times. I'm going to go over everything that made us laugh. Because she was a child star, so she had lots of stories to tell. But she was a singer. So was she the first, Yeah. Because she I, the first, I met her yeah, um, on a couple of times in, in the Witch Way Inn, but I didn't realise that. Wow. Yeah, she, um, she was the first person... She's the youngest person to appear in Annie when it first opened in uh, London. Yeah, she's been all over the world singing. Yeah, she had a fantastic voice. Isn't but my that? dad used to play with um, Mick Dillahunty as well. So he Did he indeed? Yeah. God, you're yeah, steep, in steep, steeped in the music. Steeped in the music. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's, we like the good. Bond track. And, and <laughs> tell me what... <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons you came on, of course, was to talk about that notion of charging people for the... For the Christmas Where dinner, Where so. is she coming from, Frank? I Seriously. Don't know. I really don't know. £170? Yeah. Is it £170? No, pounds? £150. 100, about £170 Euro or so, yeah. Come here, we could mm. all go to Cashel Palace, couldn't we, for that? <laughs> we could. We could have two scones. <laughs> two scones and a cup of tea, yeah. Hot tea for two. That'd be great. Um, um, I don't know where she's coming yeah. from. I just think it's meanness, it's greed. She's a Grinch. Yeah, she really is the Grinch. And, and uh, the Emma three. just put up there earlier on. I was wondering where what her background was, but seemingly she's one of these so-called blooming influencers. So, I think that really what this is about is gaining some publicity for herself, I suppose. But she, you know, I bet it is. I bet it is. I mean, she, she, I bet she's not Gordon Ramsay <laughs> or Jamie Oliver. But with that, with that kind of money, you know. she'd she'd want to be Sue. She really would. Sue, you but look you after yourself. Me, listen, happy Christmas, Brian. And, and, and I'm sorry your son's away, but you. You'll Skype in, FaceTiming. Oh, look, by comparison with, with you now grieving for your sister, it's it's nothing, Sue, but you look after yourself. Anyway, and I'm delighted you have the support of your family this Christmas. 
Thanks, Fran. And Happy New Year to you all and your listeners. Thanks, Sue. Good morning to you. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, Sue. And that's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.